On this episode of Geek Out Loud, you know, I've always wondered if I can just start telling a story on one of these shows and just wherever the tangent takes me, I'm just going to let it go. What if today we give in to utter tangent? It's the Geek Out Loud podcast. From the realm of your dreams comes the greatest nightmare of our age. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud. I'm Steve Glosson, your host, and glad to be with you on this episode of Geek Out Loud as we try to uh, just celebrate the things we enjoy, have a good time together, just have some fun. You know, this show has really morphed. From those early days to now, it's like, let's just get together, have a good time. Um, let's not be scared of, of snark. Let's not be scared of uh, criticizing the things we enjoy where there's criticism that is needed constructively. So let's really have fun with the things that we have fun with. And let's not shy away from just a little bit of goofiness here and there. Everybody takes everything so seriously these days. And... Um, you know what? I'm. I, there's enough of that. So here we go. I have always wondered if I could just get into something and and not withhold from. I know it feels like I don't. That's the thing. Like, I know it feels like whenever you listen to me, you're like, well, here comes a tangent. If this is Steve Glosson, there's going to be a tangent on which he goes, and that is true. That is a true and 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 fine statement for you to make and believe. But I, I guess my thing is I've always kind of wondered that if I go ahead and just let it happen, if I just let it go and I don't even, I don't pull back on the reins, I just go wherever the train of thought takes me, what may become of this episode? What may become of this show? So what we're about to have is either one of the funnest shows we've ever done or one of the lamest shows we've ever done. And, um, and so I just, I just want you to know, that there may be some skewing off today, as it were. So before we get into anything else, let me just let me set my goals for today. <clears throat> because it's been a long time since we've podcasted, and it's been a long time. Been a long time, been a long time, been a long, lonely, 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 lonely time. Um, the reason it's been such a long time is because uh, several weeks ago, one of the reasons is several weeks ago, had a hard drive situation where the hard drive was destroyed, lost everything. And, you know, those kind of things will take the wind out of your sails. Um, obviously, regular life, busyness, that sort of thing. But I have made a few recent appearances here and there. Uh, you can check me out on Rule the Galaxy. I think I've made a couple of appearances on Rule the Galaxy since uh, since we've done last on Geek Out Loud back in May when we were discussing Return of the Jedi with Scott Rifen and Shaz Bazaar. Um, I've been on the Deuce Cast, their most recent episode, the Deuce Cast Movie Cast. I believe that's episode 599 that I was on, and uh, you can check me out there. And um, the Deuce Cast Extra, 
Uh, I was on many moons ago discussing the phase four Marvel films and television shows and what was good and what wasn't good. And at that point, uh, I had not seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and that kind of became the running gag of that particular episode. So um, on this show, I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and that's one of my goals for today is to actually kind of discuss a little bit of Guardians 3. In fact, here are the goals of today. <clears throat> I've got some movies to talk about from the summer that we've not talked about. I'd like to talk about a few toy situations that have uh, sprung to mind and come about. Um, I would like to talk maybe a little Ahsoka, but I'm waiting for Teresa for that, and, and she's waiting for me to give her the call. For that, so uh, kind of do some old school um, rebel yell, if you would, um, and uh, and so that's kind of my that's kind of my thing. That's the goals for today. Um, also, before we get into anything, want to thank our Patreon supporters, you guys who continue to keep us afloat over there on Patreon. You're paying for the hosting fees that we have on the show, the the live streaming fees we have on the show. Um, all the little things uh, that we that we have to pay for to keep, you know, doing this kind of stuff. That's what Patreon really is supporting these days. And so I appreciate you all. Uh, I know that I've missed a few months with Dave Jones doing some movies with Dave Jones. We were supposed to do Independence Day in July. But uh, that's around the time that the whole hard drive thing broke down and went nuts. And so uh, I, I abandoned Dave uh, there. Uh, Dave is a, is a good friend and true and um and and I have a blast talking movies with him and I was really looking forward to making him watch Independence Day because that's a good movie I don't care what he says um but Patreon is where it happens patreon.com/geekoutloud we're going to get more of that up and going uh I uh I, I we have a featured supporter here from Patreon Gary Belisle Gary gives comfort this is his superpower he gives comfort it's what Gary does may seem like no big deal until you consider a tense hostage situation where Gary shows up and he makes the hostages feel better. He makes the hostage taker, let his guard down, and boom! Gary punches evil in its flappy neck. Gary has no time for the silliness of crime, so he immediately makes everyone feel better just so he can go to kicking butt and making people feel safer permanently. That's our featured Patreon supporter for this episode, Gary Bilal. Also, so glad to have everyone with us at Mixler.com slash Goliverse. Those of you who are over there hanging with us at Mixler.com slash Goliverse. Quick roll call. Brian Kent. Cam Hopman. No thunder, Cam. Thunder. Feel the thunder. You know what, Cam? We've got a huge hurricane situation going on out in the Atlantic, and I just was hurricane dodging just last week uh, in, in down in the Gulf, and so... Cam, it may be time to get you on here because that's a serious, serious situation. I understand sustained winds up to 160 miles an hour right now uh, with the hurricane that's coming uh, up in the Atlantic, and that's a big old boy, and uh, and it's going to affect a lot of places if it gets much closer to land. So Cam Hopman, I know, is keeping his eye on that, and great to have Cam in the chat with us. Old Cattle Boss himself is out there doing the farming, doing the doing the Lord's work of keeping us all fed. Cattle Boss, uh, who's still very active over on the uh, Goliverse Discord, which you can get a link to by supporting us at any level at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Cliff in Marietta, not Marietta, Georgia, Marietta, O-H-I-O. 
Craig Harmon, Haley is with us. My lovely wife, who I love dearly, is with us. Jeff Lane, Jimmy in Georgia, who's not actually in Georgia. I believe he's still in Missouri. Justin Bernstein, Keith Walters, Lakehead, Troy, Lisa Cipher, Matt Crowder, a quarter of the infamous Crowder brothers. Heard from one quarter of the infamous Crowder brothers uh, earlier today via the Twitter, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Maui Mark. Maui got in touch with me and let me know that they were safe from the fires. He's marked safe from the fires down there in Maui. But, man, what a tragic situation down there. A lot of rebuilding to go on and um, and just a, just a bad, 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 horrible situation. So, Mark, we're so glad you're safe and uh and and we're glad that you're you're with us today ob1 realtor angie shane in grand rapids and the aforementioned the dave m jones all joining us live in the chat you can join us live by going to mixer.com slash goalaverse whenever we throw that out there follow us to get those notifications when we go live so you can jump in the live chat and uh and make some friends so uh really quickly i'll go ahead and get to this because it was mentioned uh in the twitter Sent to me by uh, one quarter of the infamous Crowder brothers, Steve Crowder. Uh, let me know that on September 7th, that is today is the time of this recording, or yesterday rather, at the time of this recording, of 1980. Wait, is it the 8th? It's the, I thought it was the 7th today. No, it's the 8th. Oh, yesterday was the 7th. Um, <clears throat> as, of, as of this recording yesterday, 1985, so 38 years ago, St. Elmo's Fire. Open parentheses, man in motion, close parentheses, by one John Parr. Hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and uh, and that has become an anthem of sorts for uh, the Goliverse, uh, particularly through the Big Honkin' Show. Uh, it was the, It's what we call the old desk-flipping song. We would use it especially in the mornings to kind of get pumped up and get going, you know, and uh, and we would examine the lyrics and talk about all those manners of things that would take place in the song. Growing up, you can't see the writing on the wall. And I believe that's how it goes. Um, and and we would really just kick it in. And they would modulate at one point with the old key change. And uh, all he needs is this pair of wheels. With his future blazing or something. How's it go? The future? I, you know what I need to do? I need to pull up the song. And I need to need to check it out before I do that. I'm making sure that something has stayed the same where it needs to. So I can feel a hairish jammy underneath a blazing sky. Gonna take my eagles flying. I'm gonna take my eagles flying higher and higher. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, here we go. Couldn't do this if we were on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. Probably shouldn't do it on a podcast like this. I tell you what, the Spotify version of Geek Out Loud won't get this mess. Growing up, Growing up. you don't see the writing on the wall. Happy 38 years on the number one. For 38 years, the song's been number one. Oh, not yet. No horns yet. Goozles up was the cry. Goozles up. That's that thing that dangles in the back of your throat. Soldier, 
underneath the blazing sky. Favorite line of the song right here. You broke the boy in me. But you won't break the man. Come cross this bridge with me. Neil Diamond it now. Neil Diamond it. And my time is now. And with that, we wish a happy birthday to old Lane Coker. He is uh, 14 today. Happy birthday, Mr. Lane. Hope you have a great day. Now get out there. Listen, work don't stop because it's your birthday, Fritz. All right? Work don't stop. Because you got you to gotta keep working. That's part of being a man. Working. Got to work. Do work. Um, by the way, as, as that was playing... Um, uh, one one quarter of the of the infamous Crowder brothers, uh, Matt Crowder, uh, slid into my DMs over on X or Twitter, whatever it's called now. And um, th- is that going to be everyone's joke? By the way, from now on, is everyone just going to like every time you see hear it on a on a YouTube video or on the news or something like Twitter, formerly Twitter, I guess now it's called X. I don't really know what to call it now. What do you do? Do you X something? Do you do that? Anyhow, he slid into my DMs and he let me know that he thought. Uh, his brother had sent me a video about the Piggly Wiggly. Here's the thing. That's not a weird thing to me. When I see that video, there's nothing strange about it to me because I'm familiar, perfectly familiar with Piggly Wiggly, shopped 
many years of my life at a Piggly Wiggly. Uh, so Piggly Wiggly, not surprised by it at all. And um, so uh, Jimmy in Georgia says, is Fritz in the birthday club? Yes, he's in the birthday club. And he has an opportunity to win a McDonald's cake at the end of the week. I guess that's today. Uh, we'll put him in the drawing, not only to win today, but also the end of the week uh, uh, McDonald's cake, if you remember that. Um, <clears throat> X going to give it me. Give it to me. Degeneration X. <laughs> that's true. All right. Well done. Well done, chat. Well done. Anyhow, what was I talking about? Happy birthday to Fritz. Piggly Wiggly, St. Elmo's Fire. Anyhow, as I saw the thing about the the um, the thing because I was over on X Twitter, I saw this from NPR. Now I know this isn't the Big Honkin' Show, and I know that you know the, the Big Honkin' Show and the Geek Out Loud have kind of joined forces to become like the Voltron of podcasting. Um, really, I guess if it was the Voltron of podcasting, Geek Out Loud would have um. Let's see. I guess Geek Out... Okay, so let's say the Goliverse, instead of having separate podcasts, all came together in one. And I would say that you'd form the arms and legs with... The arms would be... Uh, let's say the arms would be Rock Out Loud and D Disney Vault Talk. The legs would be uh, Mark Out Loud and uh rebel yell and i formed the head being or, oh no the big honkin show has to be in there somewhere so let's um let's take rebel yell out of there in the big honkin show and mark out loud would be the legs and then i'll form the head i'll being geek out loud so then you've got the geek out loud voltron but since you know all those other shows are pretty much gone nowadays um we'll just say that it's geek out loud and big honkin show was there ever a two i guess there were the twin bots on Transformers, which that's kind of an unfortunate thing that they got the, the crap that they did in Transformers or Revenge of the Fallen, but they were supposed to be like, there were some other combiner bots in, in Transformers. There were just two of them that would make one thing. I think, I vaguely remember that. I know you had kind of the double agent guy and there were some that were very connected and linked. No, there was, there were these, there was one that was like a car and a helicopter that the helicopter landed on the car and it popped up and it made one bot. So you had the two things that had to make the one transformer. And I don't really, I can't remember what those were that where they would come to get any. So I get, it was kind of lame because it wasn't like a very intricate transformation. It's like land pop, you know, you connect and pop up. And so it wasn't like the, the coolest of transformers, which I guess that really works for the big honking show and geek out loud, not the coolest of podcasts coming together, but two podcasts coming together to form one podcast. And that's kind of what's happened here with us as we, uh, as, as this has happened. So I saw this and it, and it immediately hit me. Is this guy, this guy's either a smooth criminal or he is a, uh, or, or he's a real life superhero. That's the, therein lies the challenge. Let me pull up my drops here and see if I can get any of this going here. Um, Oh, here we go. There's a smooth criminal drop. And do we have a, I don't have a, um, real American heroes. This is definitely an American doing this real man of genius. Gosh, those were good commercials. Uh, where is my real life superhero? There we go. Here we go. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say this guy's a combination of both.
right. So Coast Guard arrests a man trying to run a giant hamster wheel across the Atlantic. <laughs> Try as he might, Riza Balucci can't reach his destination without running afoul of the U.S. Coast Guard. The key problem is his vessel. It's a giant floating hamster wheel made of buoys and wire, self-propelled by Balucci running inside. Balucci, who lives in Florida after, grant, after being granted asylum from Iran, was taken in by the, the Coast Guard last week aboard his vessel following several days of back and forth with the authorities. According to a criminal complaint filed in U.S. District Court in South Florida, the Coast Guard cutter Valiant came across Balucci and his home, I'm saying Balucci, maybe Baluki, and his homemade vessel about 70 nautical miles east of Tybee Island, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is also kind of Florida news, even though he was found east of... So he was going north. He wasn't even headed east. He was... He's headed... Is it, Where is he headed? It says he's trying to go across the Atlantic. Um, under here's There is a picture of this thing. It looks ingenious. It's a bunch of paddle wheels that are all... It, it's You got two big wheels on either side that are just stuffed with buoys wired together. And it looks like he's got some piping melted in circles to kind of hold it all in. And then paddles... Um, almost like a water wheel kind of situation around those. But within in the in between those two wheels is a giant cage, and it looks like he's got all manner of stuff in there that I guess he just thought he'd get out and walk. It looks fun, but I don't want to go all the way across the Atlantic with it. Anyhow, they were preparing. They 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 caught him about seventy miles east of Tybee Island on August twenty sixth as the Coast Guard was preparing for Hurricane Franklin. He told officers his destination was London, England more than 4,000 miles away. He was asked for the vehicle's registration. He said it was registered in Florida, but he couldn't find the registration, according to the complaint. They assessed Bellucci's vehicle, known as the Hydropod, and determined he was conducting a manifestly unsafe voyage, according to Coast Guard Special Agent Michael Perez in the complaint, which does not identify Bellucci's starting point. So they're saying, we don't know if he left and just went north and was trying to hit that jet stream or what was going on. The officers then approached Bellucci in a small boat and instructed him to join them. They were ending his voyage due to it being unsafe. Well, why didn't they end the voyage of that dude that was taken? I guess that's not in American water, so the Coast Guard has no control. But, I mean, at some point, you've got to say this This also applies to a submarine that's being taking people down to see the, the Titanic, you know. Uh, let's see what goes on here. When the officers try to get, let's see, uh... Oh, wow. Hold on. They were ending his voice. Bellucci replied that he had a 12-inch knife and would attempt to kill himself if the officers attempted to remove him from his vessel, according to the complaint. He really was sold on this thing. The officers returned to the cutter and stayed nearby. When the officers tried again over the next day or so to get Bellucci to join them on the small boat, Bellucci displayed two knives and threatened to hurt himself if officers were on board, if, if officers boarded his vessels. He also threatened to blow himself up along with his vessel. Now, don't lean into that stereotype. The officers also saw him holding wires in his hands and believed him, the complaint says. The following day, a second Coast Guard cutter named Campbell arrived and sent a small boat to Bellucci to deliver food, water, and word that the hurricane was expected. Bellucci pulled out three knives this time. I'm just kidding. He says he, he refused again to leave his vessel and told the officers that the bomb wasn't real. On August 29th, the, uh, the Campbell, that's, that, uh, that's the other Coast Guard cutter, sent one more small boat, and this time was able to safely remove Bellucci from his floating hamster wheel. He was brought ashore in Miami Beach last Friday where he was released on $250,000 bond. While his case is underway, he's barred from travel outside the Southern District of Florida he may not go to the ocean or board a vessel on the ocean, a special condition added to his bond agreement. 
This was far from his first encounter with the Coast Guard. Wow. Hold on a second. This was far from his first encounter with the Coast Guard. You've been hit by, you've been struck by he has attempted voyages in similar homemade vessels in 2014, 2016, and 2021, all of which resulted in Coast Guard intervention. You've been hit by, you've been struck by. Bellucci is a man of big dreams and, or and unorthodox methods. Not long after arriving in the U.S., he was profiled in the New York Times as he began a quest to run across the country for his gump style. He reportedly finished the coast-to-coast -coast journey not once, but twice. Then he got tired, so he went home. He was also the sh focus of a short documentary from Vice, the now bankrupt Vice, apparently, about Volucci's 2014 and 2016 attempts to travel from Boca Raton, Florida, to Bermuda, a distance of more than 1,000 miles, by running inside of his homemade floating bubble. In the video, Bellucci explains his motivation for using unusual means of travel. If you drive a boat, nobody cares. Bubble? Nobody did before. So, literally, walking on air on that bubble. Um, wow. That's amazing. This goes on and on. This is a, thank you, NPR, for such a long... We don't have time to go through it all, but, man, this dude, at some point, and I know that, you know, that we want to be compassionate. I get that. I understand completely. But at some point, you got to let him go. You know, like... The man's going to keep on, and at some point you got to say, you either got to compromise and say, well, sir, what if you, what if we let you do this, but you do it supervised, so we're, we have a boat alongside of you, should something tragic happen, or Bon Voyage, we'll see you when you get to London, and if you don't make it, we'll know you didn't make it. You know, at, at some point, you have to let natural selection kind of, have its way you know that's that's we all believe in that don't we and that what everyone believes in and and so you know at some point you got to stop saving people from their own stupidity and let their stupidity kind of have at them you know <laughs> hey i'm turning you over here's your punishment i'm turning i'm turning you over to your um i'm turning you over to your own stupidity brandy you're a fine girl. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe his wife is Brandy or his girlfriend's Brandy. And his love, his real love is the sea. I learned all that from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, by the way, which in this episode, don't forget, we hope to talk about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I don't know if I have that song, Brandy, or not. I should with all the music that we have here at the Big Honkin' Show slash Goliverse at the Wilbur Heath Memorial Studios. We've got all kinds of... Um, song so let's see if this is it
pass the time away and talk about their homes. And there's a girl in this harbor town, and she works. Yes, she works. Laying whiskey down. Laying all my buoys down. Yeah. Fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. They'll say, they'll say, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Her eyes could still. I listen. I'm. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. This is a great way of getting exercise. If you accomplish this feat, you will be as strong as the Incredible Hulk, and people will respect you all of your days. You should run across the sea in a hamster wheel, and this should become uh, the common transportation of human beings from henceforth and forevermore. I just saw that. Thought it was an interesting story. Had to share it with everybody. It's crazy. Um, that was Brandy. This is Steve Glosson on WGOL, bringing you the smooth tunes and dulcet tones to rock you through your afternoon. Spinning the flat tracks of back wax, black wax here in the Wilbur Heath Memorial Studios. Glad to be along with you. All right. Um, so last week, as I said, there was, at the time of recording, there was a hurricane uh, that came up the Gulf, and um, I found myself on vacation down on the Gulf Coast with my wife, Haley. Uh, my parents were there with us. We were down in the Inglewood area of Florida. And uh, last year, uh, when the hurricane came up, uh, Inglewood had a lot of destruction to it. But fortunately, the, the brunt of every I say fortunately, it's always unfortunate. That shouldn't be. Uh, the brunt of everything hit a little bit further south in the Fort Myers area. But Inglewood still had a lot of flooding and some destruction and everything from, from the hurricane last year. And we could see where there were some places still rebuilding and still recouping from all of that. Uh, but the, So this year, as we're there, and this hurricane begins to come up through the Gulf, uh, Adelia was its name. And uh, not, to be, not to be confused where the onions come from. That's not Vidalia. That is Vidalia. A lot of people like to say Vidalia onions. No, if you go down, here's the thing. I feel like on one hand, you don't necessarily look. I don't like it when people say Chile instead of Chile. It, it down in South America, it's Chile. We're America. We're Americans. I don't like when people go. I'm going to have some spaghetti. You know, uh, it's spaghetti. You know, we're we're Americans. I get that, but I also think that there's something regionally about American places that if those people from that place in America, in America say it a certain way, that's how we need to say it. And most people, the, the common consensus, and I've lived near there, spent a lot of time in Vidalia. Um, most people call it Vidalia. In the same way, you have Albany, New York, but you have Albany, Georgia. You see the difference? You have Albany, New York, but Albany, Georgia. And, and that's just, you know, that's just things. Anyhow, Adelia was coming through, and honestly, where we were was about 150 miles uh, from where the, I passed by that particular region of Florida. But we were still getting a lot of outer bands and a lot of storm surge. And there was some concerns about losing power and possibly water, too, depending on how the storm surge got. I, I was tempted to go out in the parking lot and do my best Jim Cantori, you know, and try to walk against the wind and everything. Um, but I thought better of it as there were no cameras on me. So and what good is it? to be standing in a hurricane if there are no cameras on you. If you're not standing in, uh, in, in a hurricane, 
If you are staying in Hurricane, but you're not standing in front of cameras when you're standing in a hurricane, come on, that's ridiculous. But now if you can slip behind somebody who is standing in front of a camera in a hurricane and, uh, and pulls off some shenanigans, well, more power to you. You know, if that's the idiocy you choose to engage in, hey, you go for it. I, I'm, I am not your judge on that matter. In fact, sometimes I'm guilty of laughing at you, but, you know, you got to be safe. So, um, so Adelia came up, and, and I, I feel like I've ridden out a hurricane before. But as I did my research, I didn't actually, there was the potential of a hurricane, and we caught a very little bit of it. In 95, I think it ended up being more of a tropical storm that hit, that came through uh, the Panama City region in uh, in 19, June of 1995. I do remember talking to parents about it. I know that they put uh, all the pool furniture in the pool, you know, all the plastic pool furniture in the pool to protect it through the night. But by the next morning, everything was bright and sunny and back to normal again. Here, not so much. Here, it was uh, the storm surge was pretty rough. The waves stayed high and, and rough, and, and the effects were seen. And then driving back up through Georgia, the effects were seen as well. And I think everyone who kind of watched the Instagram and saw what was going on, and, uh, and, and I appreciate you kind of saying, hey, hey, be careful down there. If you're not careful, you might blow away and I have no, there's no chance of me blowing away. Look at me. I'm huge. I'm going to firmly planted like the rock, you know, not the, the rock I am. And I'm like, do you smell what I'm cooking? And, and the, and the hurricane Adelia was like, no, but I also tried to make some jokes that I don't think people got over on my Instagram with my hashtags. Sometimes listen, I know that it is difficult to follow people on social media and and I don't like necessarily being a social media user, if I'm just being honest. I I, I feel like it's not, um, it's just not me. I I really try. Like this whole thing with the, uh, with with the with the with the Discord, with the Goldiverse Discord, uh, from uh, that is a private Discord for Patreon users. I really wanted to be active on there. Was having some fun. We've got a GIF Uno situation going on over there, and everything else. But man, I tell you what, um, it is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that I don't do well. I, I kind of get hyped up on it for a minute and then I'm done. So Instagram, I actually, uh, put a few things out there on Instagram with the, with the hurricane and, uh, and I said some fun things about it. Uh, I put, um, well, first of all, I, I played Wipeout by the Beach Boys or by not the Beach Boys featuring the Beach Boys by the fat boys which i thought was genius and um and uh, and i hashtagged it adelia hashtag adelia to jump in get it i dare you to jump in i dare you to jump in um but i also had a good cat i said the sea was angry that day my friends and it was nice that people kind of got that um i showed off the aftermath we were it was really close to where we were a lot of sea foams um, and I, and I put against the wind because it was very windy out there and we had standing it and, uh, and I put again, Adelia to get in. So, and then I put hashtag waving hello because of all the waves, but I don't think anybody, um, uh, I don't think anybody got it, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. And then I, um, put riding the storm out, riding the storm out. But I put it like hours later from when I'd first posted anything. And I said, I guess these things take time. 
because it just everyone was like panicking but we were just kind of sitting there in a waiting game uh waiting on this thing to you know to see what would happen but there was a lot of lightning and wind that night and um and uh and uh and i didn't have anything there but you know the thing was i dare you to jump in i dare you to jump in but uh, i didn't then there was one where um you could actually you know the whole idea was Adelia was way out there and you could see the cloudiness and you could see kind of the bands were coming and and it kept being I dare you to jump into that water now father's figures the great father's figures who's a wonderful Instagram follow and I, and I think you should all follow him um, said here's your chance to go out like Swayze and point break and I thought that was that was great never and, and there was a lot of good well wishes and stuff and I really appreciate everyone's well wish especially from the Michael Mercy who uh, Michael Mercy of the the YouTube channel Michael Mercy uh, said some nice words. So I appreciate that. So, um, so yeah, that, that was hurricane Adelia. And, and fortunately it was a little bit, um, where, where it landed and came up through the big bend of Florida on up into South Georgia and in there, North Florida, there was a lot of damage and stuff when it, when it was going by us about 150 miles away, all we were getting were some of the outer bands and, um, and it was windy and it was rainy and it wasn't good, but it was nowhere near at the strength that it was when it hit uh, there in the Big Bend and, and on through. And so as we were coming back up 75, we could see a lot of trees snapped, a lot of destruction, real real serious thing. And that reminded me of a time, uh, there was a couple of years, uh, several years ago, where uh, the east coast of Georgia over at St. Simons, Brunswick, where a good friend of the show, Scott Rifen works and lives, uh, had some hurricane situations come through. And Scott, as part of the local media, stuck around. He rode the storm out. He kept everyone informed during the storm, and um, and just you know, just he rode it up. You know, he he really really did. And um, and he was going around. You may remember this from from all that. Oh, hold on. Kitty cat. No, raccoon. Ah, uh, uh, not anymore. <laughs> uh, he ran right under me. There was literally nothing I could do. Of course, that gave birth to the song. <laughs> oh, it's funny every time I hear it. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it makes me bad. I mean, I know it makes me a bad human being, but man, I can't get over it every time I hear it. Get your kitty and put him inside. Kitty on the road, whatever wall, so shit. 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 Kitty on the road, whatever wall, so sh
That was Shaz Bazaar with Kitty Coon. Um, anyhow, so, but after, in the aftermath of one of those hurricanes, Scott was doing a live feed on Facebook and he was driving around St. Simon's Island and he was showing where crews were still clearing trees off the road. He was showing where roads were still flooded and encouraging people not to necessarily come back if they had evacuated. And I got on there and just began to try to derail Scott on his Facebook feed and I could hear kind of the frustration in his voice. I'm like, why is he getting so irritated with me? And then, and it wasn't until after I logged off and sat down, like, you know what? Scott was doing a serious job for his real actual job. Scott was standing in the gap for people, informing them of what need to go on. And I was trying to make a joke of a very serious situation. What am I thinking? Grow up. You know, that's kind of where I was. I'm like, what am I? Who am I? This something's got to give. I, that, that's not, there is change that needs, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. And, uh, and, and so I, it's almost like when you get to be friends with someone, you forget, Hey, this job that they're doing is their livelihood. And, and the things that he's talking about are serious for this community. And, and it's probably best not to always try to make a joke or make fun. Now, have I completely learned that lesson? Not at all. Uh, but, but, learn the lesson that day I did for at least a moment. It dawned on me. And, um, I don't think I've ever apologized to Scott Rifen for that, but you know, what, what you going to do? I, I could, be... <laughs> I don't think I need to apologize. It's been so long. Does that happen? Um, oh my gosh, look at this. Brian Scott says, never have I been in the chat before, but I've listened for a long time. I'm mad to hear Steve was in Inglewood about 10 minutes down the road. Wow. Well, Brian, I was posting on the Instagram, man, uh, on my Instagram, where, whereupon you can follow me. What's, I don't know what my name is over there, but you can follow me there. I think it's probably Steve Glosson. But, uh, hey, listen, we try to make it our goal to get down there every year. We're praying. So hopefully you could, uh, hopefully, you know, next year, Lord willing, you'll still be there. So, um, and, uh, yeah, you know what? I, the reason I didn't, I guess I shouldn't have apologized because, I didn't have the right music playing. So thank you, Jimmy and Georgia, our long distance producer and, and content provider. Um, 
you know, sometimes in my life, I find that I can be a little callous and insensitive to the plight, not only the plight of others, but the plight of friends who are doing work, apparently, to inform others about just how their plight may be going. And in this instance, it was Scott Rifen. So, Scott, I, I apologize to you for that one instance where I stepped in and made a made a joke of uh, of of what you were doing. I I know that happens all the time. I get it, but in that one instance. It seems the seriousness of it was elevated, and I and I shouldn't have done it. While I'm apologizing, maybe I should apologize for the disillusion of uh, Dinner for Geeks. Apparently, I was the catalyst for a bomb being dropped in in the midst of the table that night. And uh, yeah, though I can't take the blame for the action. I was kind of egging on the reveal, if you will. I'm sorry for all the times I've imitated you, but I can't... I can't stop. Won't stop. For it's a fun bit. And I apologize as well to raccoons everywhere for laughing at the fate of one of your own. What dramatic music this has become. I think a lot of people miss that on the Lonely Man theme. We always think of just the single, you know, the the, the easy fingering of the piano with, you know, just the one part of it. And then when the other hand comes in and begins to really play this tune, um, it, really, uh, it really helps. So it makes it a little more dramatic. They also have a disco version of this tune. That's what. That's when it really gets crazy. Is when you hear the disco, Incredible Hulk uh, stuff going on, and and it would get played some in throughout. The, it became almost library, um, library music for that show. Uh, the the Incredible Hulk disco theme. Let me see if I can find it here. Here we go. Right now, it's just starting out as the one we know, the apology theme for the show, and uh, but it, it's about to. It's about to get there you see how it went off a little bit there oh yeah I believe there were at least two episodes where that was used. Um, I, I think there was one where uh, there were some people partying at a house and it was playing in the background. Then there was one that was actually at a discotheque, if you will, that was taking place. I, you know, disco took the word. It's a shame that disco gets such a bad rap, you know, because of whatever uh, happened there in the early 80s to, to try to wipe out disco. Um because there was some good stuff coming from those loops and those beats and those rhythms. And 
and and it was the early days of you know music remixes and um and of course you know you have the great miko star wars album which by the way on the way back from inglewood we were stopping we 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 always try to build in stops to some antique malls up and down the road you know kind of it won't be too out of the way of our route going home and uh we stopped at one and i always kind of peruse or you know you're always going to find several things in antique malls where they have the different people with the booths you're definitely going to see some um batman returns or i'm sorry batman forever no 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 would it be batman forever is it batman and robin your batman forever glasses from mcdonald's back in the day you're going to see uh, a lot of times you'll see peanuts glasses um the drinking glasses, uh, and, and Garfield is pretty prominent. Smurfs is pretty prominent when you, when it comes to glassware. And quite frankly, it's not uncommon to run into some of the Burger King star Wars glasses, though they may end up being a little pricey when you see them. You're also going to generally run into, especially in the South, a, a section that has just a ton of cast iron, uh, pots, pans, Dutch ovens. There's a cast iron bunt pan that is always amazing to my wife and I how much, how expensive it is that people want for it. I mean, like, it's a bunt pan. I know, I get that it's cast iron, but having a cast iron bunt pan, could that be that much more uh, important and incredible than just a regular old bunt pan? I, I don't understand it, but like, I've seen them mark as low as 175 and as high as like 250. It's amazing. And so we always like to play the, the, the cast iron bunt pan guessing game if we come across one. Uh, the other thing you're going to find in antique malls nine times out of ten is you're going to find someone who's selling some records. Now, you may find a booth where someone just has a little crate with some records in it. You may find a booth where that is someone's booth. It's just a record, like a mini record store basically going on. And I've made it kind of a habit to thumb through the records, if especially if they're organized well. Um, I don't have the patience to go through just a stack of records that is not organized in any way, shape or form. But if they're kind of at least semi-organized, well, I'll, I'll go through them because these days I find myself looking for Petra albums. I'm, uh, I have a few uh, reprints of Petra albums that have been put out by Girder music, which I would encourage all of you. If you're Christian rock fans from the eighties and nineties, check out Girder music.com G I R D E R music.com. They have some great, Re-releases of Petra, DeGarmo, and Key. Blood Good CD just came out. I don't know if anyone remembers Blood Good. Shout, Tamplin, Bride. Uh, they've got some Disciple stuff on there, which is newer Christian rock. So if you're into that kind of thing, check out Girder Music. They have some really neat collectible uh, CDs, vinyls, and that sort of thing uh, for some of the great Christian rock of all time. But uh, So I look for Petra albums, and, um, and now I've also added into the Looking for Albums Ray Stevens albums. My wife doesn't know that. She's just finding out right now that I also look for Ray Stevens. <laughs> but um, the other day I actually found, and it was a neat find for me because I'd not seen one ever in the wild when I was going to places. Um, there are a few things I regret not picking up when it comes to albums. I've run into the Superman soundtrack on vinyl here and there. The problem is, again, it comes down to displaying. And so I'm not like wanting to have a huge vinyl collection, but I like the idea of having a few that are that mean something to me to display or some that are be kind of weird, you know, to that, that no one, who else wants Ray Stevens records, you know? Um, but he's just one of my faves of all time. So, you know, if he's got records, I, I'd like to like to snag a few and he does have records, you know, they go back to the 1960s for crying out loud. But anyhow, ran into Miko, but Ray Stevens, can we look? Okay. I'm sorry. Ray Stevens 
is one of the great treasures of the United States of America, the 20th century and beyond. This man has has a voice as smooth as butter. He doesn't get enough credit for his singing talent. He's funny as all get out. He's he's written some hilarious songs. Uh, he is just a staple of of Southern culture and Americana, and I just feel like he needs to get his uh, he needs to get his um, he needs to get his due. You know, he he's owed his due uh, in 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 the American music scene. Should I prove it with something? I don't know. Uh, let's find out. Let's find out what I got here in the old Ray Stevens catalog. How about that? Um, I do have a Ray Stevens catalog, by the way. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you, you've got you what you want? Harry the Harry Ape. That's a good one. That's a classic. Um, you, you want a little bit of uh, let's see. Um. Ballad of the Blue Cyclone. It's a two-part amazing song about them going to a wrestling match and him getting beat up. <laughs> I love it. The, the 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 streak would be the classic from him. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see what else we got. Um, he did some serious things. You know, he did like, uh, I say serious. Uh, oh, the Shriners Convention is a great one too. The Pirate Song is wonderful. Guitar Zan. Awesome. Awesome. Um, wow. I can't believe he doesn't have, I don't have that one here I was looking for one specifically. Anyhow, he's just a great vocalist back in the day. He didn't get a lot of credit for that. Loved Ray Stevens. And so, yeah, I'm looking for Ray Stevens vinyl who, so, you know, come at me, bro. Don't come at me. I don't want to fight, but I, you know what I'm saying? I, so it's just one of those random kind of weird things that if you find, and I don't want to get on eBay. I'm not, so passionate about it, I'm like, oh, let me go on eBay and find Ray Stevens' first record. If I run into it in the wild, it's fun. And so I ran into the Miko record, Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk. And, you know, most people nowadays know that if, in these circles, they obviously know, you know, Rebel Force Radio's closing song um, on all their shows. And so, and that would be, you know, old Miko. It's the, it's the Star Wars theme as done by, as done by Miko. You know this. So anyhow, that was there, and I picked that up. That was a neat find, you know, to be in an antique mall to find the record and everything that we found. But, you know, so, yeah, Miko's some disco. They would do this back in the day. It seems like disco was at, you know, was was a cool thing that they that everyone decided needed to die, which I don't understand. You know, there's been some really good uh, disco music. When you listen to the Bee Gees, for crying out loud, the tight harmonies of the Bee Gees, this was before the days of auto-tuning, you know? Um, the loops that were created were literally created by, they did the drum beat, and he took the tape, and he cut the tape, and he recorded, and he spliced the tape to itself again and again and again to make the loop of, of what they were doing. It's, it's fascinating kind of things that were happening in the 70s. It wasn't a digital age of making music. And I would, t I, I do, I stand by this. I think the Bee Gees have some great, some great great music out there um that that gets uh 
that gets made fun of, unfortunately, uh, too much, you know? And, um, and of course, you know, I, my favorite Kiss song is, is what is called their disco song. Um, I, I don't think it get, I don't think Kiss gets any better, uh, than I was made for loving you. And you know what? I don't apologize for that at all. I don't apologize one bit. Listen to this. So I don't care what people who are fans of Kiss say. It doesn't get any better than that with Kiss. It's that's that's some awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, so disco is is not bad, and and I'm 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 all for it. Uh, but anyhow, so yeah, we're we're at the so that's so I say all that to say I survived I, I survived Hurricane Adelia. That's that's the point is is I survived. Thank you, thank you so much. All right. Um, Someone in the chat says they want to hear me do Miko and do do my impression of Jason Swank. Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can cue this up. I don't know. How does he do it? Like It's like, okay, so you have to have him or Jimmy Mac or, or the guest make a point. So let's let's end on a on a on a point there. Um so overall I think it was great. And that's it for us. I can't do Jason Swank. He's just so good. He's normal. He's good. I, I don't I mean I could turn it over to Final Thoughts, Jimmy Mac, you know, or I like all the details and everything. I, I just I can't do the RFR wrap up. I feel bad doing it. Now if you just said do Scott Rifen, you know, I feel like Scott and I are close enough these days that I could still do it. do a um that intro sounds like Journey Separate Ways. What sounds like? Wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me the kiss intro sounds like, like, uh, I don't think that's true. This doesn't sound like kiss separate ways or journey separate ways. What does sound like? Hold on. What just happened? Give me just a second. Give me just a little more time.
Just one rule. Make them good. Um, they're both E's. All right. I guess so. Is there any more of an 80s song? I mean, this is quintessential. I know there is, but Separate Ways is quintessential 80s music. That There's no getting around it. You've got the you got the keyboards going. you got the driving guitar with the keyboard still going behind it. Uh, you've got the great vocals of one Steve Perry, and it's just the drums, you know, the, the, it's got that slight reverb on the drums in the background, and it's just dry. Uh, I think Separate Ways is one of my perfect songs. I I love Separate Ways. I, I do think it's one of my perfect songs that I would count up there as a perfect song. Um, come at me on that one. Okay, uh, let's get back to my goals. <clears throat> I think I've run out of tangents for now. Uh, I was talking about the, the, the vinyl records and that led me from, uh, I went from disco to, I see, I went to vinyl cause I found that I talked a little bit. Oh, Petra. You know what? That's one thing that I discovered uh, the other week. Um, I don't, I want to be careful cause I don't want to, I don't want to mention a name and everyone get all up in arms about the name that I mentioned. But, uh, Jay Seculo from the ACLJ has put together a band he calls the Jay Seculo Band. And, um, oh man, I missed the concert. They did a concert eight days ago and I missed it. Um, they will do from time to time on his Rumble or on his Facebook and, and YouTube, I guess, will do uh, concerts uh, to raise money for um, the the American Center for Law and Justice, the ACLJ. And they do a lot of, they just basically do a lot of cover songs mostly. And it is made up of um, uh, several people. It's made up of uh, uh, Mark Lee Townsend, who used to play, um, who used to play guitar for DC Talk. Uh, John Elefante, uh, formerly of Kansas, also a solo gospel singing artist, is there. Um uh, they've got John Lowry from Petra on on the keyboards. You've got John Schlitt from Petra on vocals, as well as John Elefante. Seculo moves around to some guitars and some drums as well, and, and they do do a really really good job. And so I was watching um, them the other day, a concert they did, and I was just really kind of blown away with the talent and and the ability. But then they started to tell a story about. I knew that John Schlitt had been part of a band called Head East, but I had not um, made the connection that I knew any Head East songs, and, uh, and and but I did, and they had some huge Head East had huge success, huge success with a song that we've all heard, and maybe we don't even know who it's by, but it's this song. I played it during the pre-show. Because I knew I was going to talk about it a little bit today.
There's John Schlitt right there. Yeah, see, y'all know this. Everybody. Save my life, I'm going down for the last time. All right. So that's Head East. And that, I was just really surprised. I'm like, oh, I do know this song. I couldn't tell you another Head East song that I know. Uh, our good friend Lisa Cypher was in the chat. She probably can uh, rat, rattle off some head east because she was always really super knowledgeable about some of the music there. Anyhow, I would encourage you to head over to the ACLJ's. Um, Rumble was the mo more stable one for me that I found actually when they were doing it live. And this was months ago when I first saw them do. It was during the first quarter of the year, uh, first or second quarter of the year. They were doing a live show that night. And I was trying to watch it on Facebook and it got real glitchy. And uh, I just happened to stumble onto them over at Rumble, and um, and and just really enjoyed it. Like they've just got a good sound, and it you know they're I mean it's a bunch of old dudes playing, but it's good. Uh, I would check that out. But that brings me to one of the things I want to talk about, and I don't know if um, if if Michael High Nip is around or not. I don't see him in the chat, um, but Michael Nip uh, who. Uh, as you know, is from the Deuce Cast and the Deuce Cast Extra. Uh, reached out to me and uh, <laughs> reach out to me. This is June now. We're going all the way back to June of 2023. I don't know when. I, I think I did. I think I have done a show where I mentioned that I drug Haley out up to. Was it Chattanooga? It wasn't Chattanooga. Maybe it was. But I'm, I think it was outside of Chattanooga. I made her go to um, a, uh, a a Petra concert with me, 50th anniversary reunion. Now, last year, or the year before last, we went and saw classic Petra revival in, um, in concert at, here in Kennesaw, Georgia, not far from where we're at now. But uh, that was made up of, like, some of the old old, old dudes. It was Greg X. Volts. John Lowry was on keys. Uh, Louis Weaver was on drums. And Bob Hartman wasn't with them playing guitar at this point. They had a different guitarist and a different bass player. This is the 50th anniversary that Petra's been doing, PetraReunion.com. And I think the show we went and saw was up outside of Chattanooga, which isn't too far from us, maybe an hour and a half up the road. And uh, we went, we saw them, and 
and I'm just going to be honest. I was, uh, I loved it. I enjoyed Petra. They had an opening band that wasn't so great. I think we may have talked about this a little bit. A lot of talent, lot of, uh, a lot of musical talent. They had one lady with them that just wails when she sings, like she's a background vocalist, and she just, she's everything you want a good background vocalist to be. But the sound was off in this room, and, and there was just something not right about the sound quality of everything that went on. You couldn't hear. Like this one group, the first, their opening act was, I mean, they had a dude on saxophone. They had some, some keyboards blaring, and you just never heard any of that, even though these guys were, like, giving it their all. And uh, Rex Carroll, from uh, formerly of White Cross, showed up and, and played a bit with the opening act, and it's like, oh, my gosh, Rex Carroll's here, and, and White Cross is a... Is one of the great Christian rock bands of all time, and Rex Carroll, one of the great guitarists of all times, and uh, and 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 it just it should have been this awesome thing, but I think Haley and I both left in a little flat. But I was pumped just because it was Petra. hadn't seen this lineup of Petra since, and really never. But because they had, I don't know who they had playing drums, but uh, but Bob Hartman was there playing guitar, John Schlitt on lead vocals, John Lowry. Uh, on keys and background vocals and and listen a lot of he still has it and it he it, I, you know where john schlitt may have lost a step and everything because th- that time of singing you can't maintain forever john lowry in the background still has it it was pretty amazing and and so a lot of guitar a lot of a lot of awesome guitar licks a lot of you know so we went, we saw, okay, great. We come home and there was a show that was happening in Huntsville. And I know that Huntsville is not too, too terribly far from where we are in Rome, Georgia. And I wanted to go, but I didn't want to let on to Haley that I wanted to go because I knew that she probably didn't want to go. Uh, but here, but here was the great thing. We were riding down the road and I don't rem- I honestly don't even remember where we were going, but it hit me that Michael Nip was going. And so I had something to ask him. So I called him up. And uh, I'm like, hey, Michael, hi, Nib. How's it going, man? And he had mentioned either I'd done his show, the Deucecast Extra, or the Deucecast or something, and he mentioned possibly going to see Petra in Huntsville. So I called him. I said, are you going? He said, yes, I am. And I said, I'm going to. I just made the decision pretty much right then and there. Uh, It happened to fall in the midst of Haley's birthday week, so we had a great trip over to Huntsville. Um, we spent that day going to the Huntsville, um, botanical gardens and to the space and rocket center there in Huntsville the night prior to all that. We got to hang out with Jeff and Trisha Brown, Jeff Brown, longtime, uh, supporter and friend of, of geek out loud and friend of me, uh, got to, got to go to Jeff's church a few times back several years ago and, and, uh, and speak for him and his students. Um, just a, just a great dude and, and great people. And we had a great time. Having dinner with <clears throat> what was that? Hello, having how is out there and I was ah Mr. Haney, I've got the best thing you can buy right out here on the old truck. Uh, save your sermons, preacher. It ain't Sunday, you know. That's what the sheriff of Nottingham sounded like in uh, in in Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Oh, PJ. Um, <clears throat> anyhow. Yes, the stork is really Robin Hood. No, wait, no, he says, oh, PJ, the stork is really Robin Hood. Because remember, he got stuffed down in the barrel. Anyhow, um,
I'm sorry, I just went Mitch McConnell there and drew a blank. We were watching Robin Hood the other day. Really? No, we weren't. Uh, <laughs> it was Haley's birthday. We went to, had a great time with Jeff and, and Trisha. The next day we got up, went to the Botanical Gardens there in Huntsville, went to the Space and Rocket Center, which is interesting. Um, they really need to get someone at the Space and Rocket Center to kind of maintain what they call Rocket Park and uh and do some cleaning and some restoration some things but it was really neat and, and a lot of really neat stuff there well from there it was time to go meet old michael high nip and uh michael nip great friend of the show great friend period and uh it was off with he and i believe it was his nephew and my wife Haley and myself to go see petra with opening act not ashamed and i had warned everyone uh who had not been to the first petra show with us Hey, Petra will be good, but not ashamed. I can't promise anything. I just don't. And they blew it out of the park, man. I can't say that I enjoy their songs, like, you know, the lyrics and everything of their songs, but I can tell you this, their sound was on point. And dude was blowing the sax, and other dude was hitting the keys, and their guitar work was awesome, and the background vocal lady was just great. And I'm like, all right, I can see where this is good stuff. And the crowd was there for it. It was in more of a theater space than what we'd originally been in. So the sound just worked so much better. And then here came Petra. And 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 they do a great, they, you know, it was the same set. They're doing the same set, you know, over and over again. But, I'm, you know, what do you expect? I, I, you can't ask much more for them. And they do a great mix of everything that they've ever had, you know. And there's some there's a couple of songs there I consider to be a little more deep cuts than uh than, than what you may think. But look, we had a blast. And when they hit Beyond Belief, and I know someone just recently in the chat used Beyond Belief as a as a punchline, but when they hit Beyond Belief, I was making everyone just get up and sing right along with it because you can't you can't just sit there and and not sing at a Petra concert. Everybody, beyond belief, beyond belief. I mean, it was awesome. And I made sure that they were all singing along Beyond Belief, Beyond Belief, because we were not going to sit on our tails while Beyond Belief was playing. And then Beyond Belief is not even my favorite one. 
But I think my favorite Petra song of the John Schlitt era may be Dance, uh, off of the um, off of the uh, the Unseen Power album. It's just it rocks hard, man. Now listen, they do this song like it was like the second or third song of the set, so my voice was gone already. Because I'm going to sing along with her on this. Dance with the one you know who got you there. I may very well have scared Michael Hynep and and his nephew when uh when I when I got into it because I'm telling you the sound was right everything was just right and and here's the thing this reunion tour they're doing I think they're just doing like at churches and stuff like big churches that have big auditoriums or theater spaces they're selling out most of them pretty quickly and once they once those tickets go on sale the VIPs are going like immediately it seems like and I really feel like they could look to someone needs to come along a manager. Someone needs to come and say, look, let's spend a little extra money on, you know, I don't know if they have their own equipment or what they've got, but I would say, let's, let's get a sound dude. Let's go into some larger settings, you know, uh, instead of a play, instead of an area that sits 1500, let's get into like a 3000 seat little, uh, theater or, you know, someone, you know, like, like here, here in Rome, we have the Rome forum, which I think is probably more of a 5,000. I don't know how many it seats, but you, I just feel like they would do well in, in something like that in, in, in some auditoriums and stuff. And, uh, and I know you got booking fees and that sort of thing that have to take place, but I just, they're going to be in Nashville on November 4th. I, I think at, at uh, and for those of you who may be able to go, New Hope Community Church, which is really outside of Nashville, it's in Brentwood, Tennessee. They're supposed to have some some guests and stuff that are going to make that show really, really special. And I would love to go, um, but it's just too far away. It's on a Saturday night, and it's just a little too far away to um, to be able to go. But man, I, I would love to go. Now listen, and these are forty two dollar tickets for this one. Wow. Gee whiz, for general admission, that got a little expensive really quick. Must be all those guests they're paying. But then, let's see, they'll be in Nashville, and then they'll be in Knoxville, I believe. Um, after that, uh, on September, they'll be in Louisville, Kentucky on September 30th. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's before, right? Paducah on the 23rd of, uh, the 23rd of Kentucky, 23rd of September, Louisville on the 30th. Nashville on November 4th, and then Knoxville on November 11th. Knoxville, Tennessee. Would love to go up there to Everett Hills Baptist Church. It's right. It's really, again, it's more of a suburb of Knoxville. It's Everett Hills, which is apparently a really nice place. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Maryville. 
Tennessee, which I hear is a really nice place just south of uh, Knoxville. But um, it it looks to be their last show. I would love to go. Uh, I would, it'd be, it would really be, um, be exciting. They have a balcony there. I'd be, but you know, I, I just can't be a pet head right now. I gotta, I gotta stay the course and, and, uh, and do some other things we got going on. So, uh, let's see what we've got here. Um, <laughs> uh, hearing from a good friend, long lost friend, Rich says he's fallen off the wagon. He is back into collecting comics, primarily Marvel now though. Um, Hey man, I, I don't know. I, the comics I buy are pretty much older ones. Like I, I'm kind of sticking to stuff from the seventies and eighties stuff that, you know, I remember either stuff that really kicks a nostalgia vibe for me or things to kind of complete runs in my collection that, that may have been, um, missing. And it's always sad to look at some of the prices of comics and realize there are some runs that I'll never complete. Like I'll never be able to complete an incredible Hulk run unless I have some amazing yard sale find that I can, um, get past my conscience and not say, Hey, this Hulk 181, you could actually sell for more than the dollar you're selling it for. Um, you know, I, I would really, it'd have to be some kind of miraculous thing of, of, of finishing up some of that. The Hulk, uh, 340, I think is the one, it's the other one with, with Wolverine. It's got a really cool Todd McFarlane cover of Wolverine. And he's got his, he's got his, uh, claws popped and you can see the reflection of the Hulk in it. Uh, that's incredible Hulk 340. And that one goes for, you know, 150 on, on the low end. Um, you know, and so it, you know, you, you, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, eh, there are holes that I may not ever be able to complete, you know, and to make a complete run. And so the completest in me is like, give up, sell them. You're done. But, uh, the new stuff I just kind of keep up with through, uh, through some of the apps and that sort of thing. I don't really, um, don't really go out buying. I did find, I did run into one of the variant covers. That's the other thing they do. They do all these variant covers now, and that's really the only way. It almost seems like that's the only way some of these comic companies are staying in business is they're doing these short run variant covers. And so all the collectors are like, oh, I got to get this. I got it. And so they're still selling comics, but it's really not, they're selling them on spec. They're not selling them based on the stories and the characters that are in them. They're selling them based on the covers. And I fell victim to that on a variant cover of an amazing Spider-Man where they were doing the Disney 100 covers, the Disney 100th anniversary covers. And this one is actually goofy as the Hulk on the fir- on the issue of the first Incredible Hulk. And so it's pretty, it's a pretty cool little cover. And I enjoyed picking that up. And it's, you know, it's one of those, I'm like, this is fun to display. I like goofy and I like this. So, um, so there you go. That's been, that was a fun find in, in what was going on. How did we get here? Well, we got here by talking about, uh, Petra and I saw the message from Rich that said uh, he was collecting comics. We got to Petra because I was telling you about my experience with Michael Nip. It was great spending time with Michael Nip, by the way. Check out the Deuce Cast and the Deuce Cast Extra. Uh, we got to Petra talking about music in general. Uh, we we were with the, the disco situation, uh, talking about that, and all that spun out of the hurricane uh, stuff. So you know, that's a general track back to where we've come from. Uh, I've now been recording. We've now been recording this show for upwards of an hour and a half, and we haven't really talked much geeky stuff at all. So, uh, all of, oh yeah. We also talked about the man who tried to roll his way across the Atlantic, which is awesome. Uh, I, I commend him and I think he should keep trying. Um, I have, I met any of my goals. I don't know. I, I think I have not. So let's do this. We'll do this as a reset. 
we'll take a break and when we come back uh yeah we'll just uh we'll jump into some guardians of the galaxy 3 talk i'm i really am interested to talk uh to talk guardians of the galaxy 3 because i think that it it's one of the it, it, well we'll talk about it i think it, it we're talking about it we'll, we'll talk about it and see what we come away with all right we'll be right back on geek out loud don't have to worry. Protect yourself and your family with BTH Security. Beatrice Turner Home Security has been in business since 2009 protecting people just like you. With our founder's patented alarm, criminals and burglars will be scared away. Just listen. Once you hear that sound, you know your home's protected and one of our agents will call you right away to make sure you're okay. Don't forget, Beatrice Turner, the first name in home security. Frustrated by looking for a new pet for the family? That's why you should get your kids the all-new Silky Buddy. A pet, a chicken, and your buddy, too. They are furry chickens. Wait, is this magic? A chicken with fur? Are you sure? Fuzzy Ewok chicken. Well, are they safe for kids? They're renowned for their calm, friendly temperament. They do well in confinement and interact very well with children. Sounds like it'll be perfect for the park, a day at the beach, or even show and tell at school. You need one. Order your Silky Buddy today for $29.95 plus $7.95 shipping and handling. 30-day money-back guarantee. 
coming soon from the makers of Silky Buddy. Silky Dung <laughs> Sparkling Jewelry. Whether you need to travel for a necessity or just enjoy getting away, taking a trip has never been more affordable. For our 425 rooms to mark our 40th anniversary of being named the best hotel in the area, the Grand is locked in on our new low rate. Our vintage hotel with the same furniture and decorations from the 70s, with our free continental breakfast and accompanied oversized swimming pool and hot tub, we're the home of the famous floating sausage. We know you'll love it. Just listen to these satisfied customers. So romantic with the smell of the bacon, the egg, and the chlorine. I love America. Hey, listen, I'm staying at the Grand. They've got a great breakfast buffet. <laughs> you can sit right there in the hot tub yeah. and have your breakfast and listen to some good quality music. This holiday season, if you're looking for a 1972 look, feel, and price, look no further than the Grand. Hi, this is Steve Glosson, and you're listening to Geek Out Loud, the official podcast of geekoutonline.com. I know I'm listening. I'm the one doing the talking. Welcome back. It's Geek Out Loud. I am Steve Glosson. You heard the liners. We came back from break. Um, all right. Let's get into this. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, some of the summer movies. Haven't talked any of the summer movies uh, from the summer that I saw this summer over the summer. There's this commercial that plays. I listen to a lot of uh, some of my, one of my favorite radio shows I listen to in the morning. Second only to Straight Talk with Scott Riven is uh, Rick and Bubba. They are based out of Birmingham, Alabama. I listen to them on the TuneIn app. Many of the Big Honkin' Show listeners from back in the day will know that we were pioneers on the TuneIn app. I think that's one of the things that really frustrates me most about my podcasting career is I was always just kind of, have always been just a little bit ahead of when things were actually worth using. Um and and di- and ne- and and I think Mixler's the closest we ever came to making a dent in anything. Uh, as actually, I got to speak with someone from Mixler. They reached out to me to say, "Hey, what are you doing to be so successful?" Because there was a time where we would constantly, anytime we broadcast on Mixler, we were the number one broadcast at the time we were going live. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So tune in. We were doing tune in back in the days of the Big Hong Show. But I use the tune in app to listen. And so they have commercials, of course. They they are a nationally syndicated show, and they have national spots that they run and spots that run specifically on TuneIn. And one of them is a Chick-fil-A commercial. And and it's, you know, Chick-fil-A has taken to these testimonials where people are talking about what they like about Chick-fil-A. And um, this particular one is about their spicy chicken biscuit. And the first part of it is a girl says, hey, my name is so-and-so, and the thing I like about the spicy chicken biscuit is the spiciness. And she talks about what... 
Then the next dude's like, my name is so-and-so, and the thing I like about the spicy chicken biscuit is is the biscuit. It reminds me of my grandmother's homemade biscuit. When I bite into the biscuit, it's re- he says biscuit like a thousand times in the 15-second spot. And I was just doing that, and it reminded me of that. Anyway, uh, welcome back to Geek Out Loud. Uh, I saw some summer movies over the summer. Didn't get to talk to him through the summer or talk about them through the summer just because of busyness and never having the opportunity to sit down and, and record you know, and, and in the past, we would have had a movie about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We would have had a movie, or uh, we would have done a podcast about Mission Impossible 7 Part 1. We would have had a, mo- a whole episode about uh, Transformers Rise of the Beast. We would have had a whole movie, uh, a whole movie, a whole, I keep doing that. Why do I keep doing that? Because I'm an idiot, that's why. Here's the thing. I've got to be honest with everyone right now, and I need you to hear me, and I need you to hear where this is coming from because this is coming from a place of a really serious moment in time in my life. Um, the spicy chicken biscuit, I don't need any spice in my breakfast, for one thing. Two, Chick-fil-A, for all that they do right, they do not do the biscuit well. I'm sorry. A Chick-fil-A biscuit is the worst thing on their menu. It falls apart. It, it's almost as though it has not been made correctly. You can have a flaky, buttery biscuit without it being a mushy, fall-apart kind of thing. And I would say, you may say, Steve, maybe you just had a bad experience with a Chick-fil-A biscuit. No, I've gone back for more. That's the kind of fool I am. Fooled around and got a bad biscuit. Um, and and so, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of it there. I, well, listen, listen, I'm telling you. Lethargic Chewy coming on strong. Easy, big fella. The sea was angry that day, my friends. I'm just, uh, listen, I am a evil opportunity biscuit reviewer. And I will tell you straight up, worst fast food biscuit out there. Chick-fil-A's biscuit, not good. It's too, it's, it's just not good. I'm sorry. It's too, you get too many crumbs all over you. You can't. Now, listen, do I appreciate what Chick-fil-A does? Yeah, I'm not a fan of the waffle fry. There it is. I said it. I said it. I'm not a fan of the waffle fry. I could do without waffle fries in the whole world. I don't think a waffle fry has a place to exist in this world. I think uh, I think the pinnacle of the fry was the crinkle cut, and I may be alone in that, and I'm fine. That is a hill I'm willing to stand on alone, is the crinkle cut fry is the pinnacle of fridom. It is the perfect thickness. It gets just crispy. It's, uh, it gets a good fluff in the middle. You have everything you need. It's, you know, the shoestring fry is okay. The shoestring fry is fine because, you know, McDonald's has a shoestring fry and McDonald's seems to be, you know, the head of the pack when it comes to the, the French fries, but, uh, crinkle cuts the way to go, especially if you get a, get a crinkle cut fries. I'm going to say this and everyone's going to say Steve's either being inappropriate or he's a fool. I've never had better French fries than those that have been cooked at a Chinese restaurant. There it is. I said it. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Either that or, or let me say it this way. Let me just go ahead. Let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Or a restaurant that is being run by people of Asian descent. East Asian descent. Um, the reason I the reason I add that caveat is because 
Uh, gee whiz, when was it we were, I was with Lethargic Chewy, I was with the Dave M. Jones, I was with the lovely Haley, and we went to a little toy swap uh, somewhere here in the North Georgia region. And um, we were, it was at a, uh, it was at a VFW of all places. Felt like an old wrestling indie show and uh, had a great, had a great time um, with, uh, with, with, with those guys looking around at toys and there were some neat finds that day. Uh, but, um, but afterwards we went and ate at a place called, oh my Lanta, what was the name of that burger place that we went to? Very simple name, Great Burger. I, I wish I could remember what area we were in when we went there. Give me just a moment, please. Give me just a little more time, and I'll find the info I'm looking for. Uh, we we went to eat at this place, and because I like a good burger, everybody likes a good burger, right? And in doing so, what we've discovered was where we went to eat was actually a burger joint that was um, that was actually owned and operated by, I feel like they were Korean, based on some of the menu options that they had. But it wasn't just burgers. Like, I mean, they had the fried rice. They had the, uh, the they had noodle bowls. They, it was, it was really, really kind of a strange thing to behold. And um, we thought we were ordering Chinese takeout when we went in. That's true. Um, lethargic chewy. That's absolutely true. But they had, uh, they had a good burger. Not going to lie. It was, it was a great burger, I will say. But they, they, I ordered French fries. They did cringle cut fries there and the fries were outstanding. And it dawned on me, I've never eaten cringle cut fries, whether it's at serious business, a Chinese buffet at the Chinese restaurant in back in Hazelhurst, Georgia, I used to eat at frequently new China. Uh, where I would get on the weekends the roasted chicken special with French fries instead of rice and uh, and, and and an egg roll, and um, yeah, I, that's that was that was. I realized then that we were absolutely in a place that I'm not trying to be rude, but Asians cook the best. I'm sorry, they cook the best French fries in a crinkle cut a crinkle cut French fry cooked just right absolutely wonderful. Maui Mark's got my back. He says, Cupies and Maui crinkle cut fries are so amazing. That's what I'm all about. Now, listen, he, Lucas is saying right now, lethargic chewing in the chat is saying that it's almost as good as prison break barbecue. I don't think it was. <laughs> number one, I don't think it was prison break barbecue. I, it was called like breakout barbecue or something like that. And it had a prison theme and it was, we were both disappointed by that. I enjoyed the burger that I got at the burger place. It was Duluth, Georgia. So let me go to Best Burger Duluth, Georgia. And let's see what we can come up with. Amazing Burger. That was the name. first thing I come up with. Amazing Burger. And I don't know that I'll go with it was amazing, but let me read you some of these menu options here at Amazing Burger. They have some salads. They have a garden salad. They have a Greek salad. They have a couple of sandwiches, a fried chicken or grilled chicken sandwich, a turkey sandwich. Uh, it has always been Asian. It's always been prison break. That's true. It's always been all, uh, they have a bulgogi Asian burger. Then they have the classic burger. They have a salmon burger and a crab burger. They have kids meals. Now they've got more than that on their menu. Come on, view the. Let me get. Let me pull up a photo here so I can really see it and let you know what we're working with here. Show me what you're working with. Uh, they have 
sandwiches, subs. They do a Philly cheese steak. I think someone in our group had a Philly cheese. There was no complaining there. Special dishes, Asian barbecue bowl, Asian barbecue ribs. Um, they have the amazing salad. They have chicken fried rice, beef fried rice, shrimp fried rice, vegetable fried rice, combination fried rice. So they have the rice bowls. They have some Asian bulgogi cop stuff going on. Look, there you go. I'm just telling you, what's my point? My point is the crinkle cut fries were great. And my point before that was I don't need waffle fries. I think waffle fries are, are one of the poorest choices an establishment can make to serve uh, when they're serving fries. And finally, uh, the biscuit at uh, Chick-fil-A, not great. Arby's did go to a cringle cut fry. Major step down, says Cattle Boss. Look, when Arby's went to the crinkle cut, I was really excited because I am an I'm not I'm an unashamed uh I, I'm an unashamed Arby's enjoyer. I do enjoy Arby's and and I don't think it's uh I don't think it's wrong. I don't I don't think it's wrong at all to enjoy Arby's. I don't like a curly fry because everyone feels like the curly fry has to be spiced up. with the, I don't like the seasonings on a curly fry. Let me just say that. So when Arby's went to a crinkle fry, I thought this, I may never leave an Arby's again. I, I may, you may next see me on my 800 pound life because I don't know that I will ever stay away from Arby's if they're serving now crinkle cut fries. But the one time I did try the crinkle cut fries, they were overcooked. They just, Arby's doesn't know how to cook them well. I'm sorry. And uh, I don't think they adjusted the times on their fryers to properly cook crinkle cut fries. So um, I'm, yeah, I, I don't, I agree with you. I feel like they don't know how to do them. So it was a little step down, unfortunately, for them. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, we were in Duluth at a toy show with Lethargic Chewy and Haley, and we went to that burger place. What did I get at that toy show that day? Ended up walking away with a lot of Marvel Legends, a vintage uh, snow speeder to replace one that I had given away in a charity giveaway over at Chewy's Cantina. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was the Cantina then even. I, I think we were still doing it some stuff. Um, but uh, it was fun. It was good. The thing about that particular show was this, is we went in. There was a lot of people in the parking lot, which was nice. It was nice outside that day. It wasn't too hot. It was in May. It was early May. So it was a nice day, and we're walking around the parking lot checking some things out. And there was some neat stuff to see. Uh, there were some decent prices on some things. And uh, then you went into the VFW where people had some stuff set up, and someone was DJing. And um, how do I say this? There is a – I think for a lot of us that still collect toys, that toys have become our – stamps or coins um you know uh, th th those kind of collections that people don't necessarily frown on as much as you know pieces of plastic i think that most of us it comes from a place of love of certain franchises whether it is star wars gi joe or real american hero um you know uh, transformers he-man uh ninja turtles you know comics Whatever the case may be, I, you know, the, the nostalgia is normally born out of one of those franchises. And then there were all these adjacent toy lines that were popping off in the 80s and the 70s and 80s that, you know, 
some of us may have fond memories of, but not necessarily because we were into those things. Micronauts being one of those things. I think people have fond memories of Micronauts, even though uh, they may not have read Micronauts comics or anything like that. I think people have fond memories of things like Centurions, even though they couldn't tell you about necessarily the Centurion cartoon. Same thing with Silverhawks. I think more people are going to remember Silverhawks than, than some things. Mask had a great cartoon. was a great franchise. You don't really hear people saying, oh, Mask was my favorite, though. I think Mask becomes one of those kind of adjacent toy lines adjacent that go that link in with some of those bigger ones of the 80s. Um, but that breeds a certain personality of people who are really into that. There's a certain, you know, we have these the, the geek out loud. Um, and there's one thing I think that kind of binds us all is that we are all cool to one another. You know, you guys who are listening to this, I think you're super cool. But it may be that people in your own life don't think you're cool. I don't think anyone looks at me outside of like eight-year-old kids and says, hey, this guy is cool. Um, and I'm fine with that. Understand something. I'm not dogging anybody. I'm just saying that like I don't think that you – now, granted, geek culture has become much more accepted nowadays, so maybe they do. But what we were dealing with at this particular toy show were guys who – they're cool but they're not used to being cool. And so they do some things that don't really come across as cool. And one of the things was, is they had sweet Caroline play and, and like everybody thought they would be the person to go so good, so good, so good. And I know you do that if you're in a bar situation or if you're at a ball game, but in a little room where there's just a bunch of people, it was really annoying. And I was ready for that song to end because everyone was shouting to the top of their lungs as though um, they were in a ball build um but it was fun it was neat music was a little loud but it was okay could have done with less people drinking but that's fine that's fine that's her business but uh it was put on by retroville toys and collectibles which you can check out on on facebook and they have a they have a booth at a antique mall in powder springs you may want to check out so um that was back in may and that was before the return of the jedi 40th anniversary so how about that action um and 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 the 40th anniversary of jedi really kicked off what should have been a fun summer of movies i guess and and we did go to the movie several times early in the summer especially to catch a few things one of those things was guardians of the galaxy 3 and guardians of the galaxy 3 i was real trepidatious going into because i had been on a show called the deuce cast extra with uh, Michael Hynep, uh, I'm Garrison Rifen, and others. And, uh, and they were talking about the, they were ranking the phase four Marvel. I don't, did they do, I don't think they did TV shows. I think they just did movies and I can't remember the fullness of, uh, of, of what those movies were. Anyhow, I was on their show and I, they were talking about the, the phase four Marvel stuff. And I did not know, uh, I had not seen all of the phase four Marvel. I hadn't seen guardians three at that time. And one of the things they all said about guardians three is, you know, Hey, it made me cry. It made me cry. It made me cry. So I was really expecting like, Oh my gosh, they're all going to die. This person. And, and they really did lead you to believe going into this thing that, um, <clears throat> that everyone was going to, everyone was going to die. Like the, the, there was no chance of, of people making it out. So 
based on the trailer, I thought we were going to see Peter dead. I thought we were going to see Rocket dead. Uh, we knew that uh, we'd heard reports that Batista was not going to come back to play Drax. I'm like, well, Batista will probably die. You know, is Gamora going to die to get all the time set right? You know, what what are we going to end up seeing in this? And um, honestly, if I had not been watching it with that just dread of having to go through watching characters die because we did it in Endgame and, and I just, you know, I, uh, I would have enjoyed it the first time around a lot more. So when it became available on streaming platforms and everything, I was able to watch and actually enjoy it. And I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed, um, I, I enjoyed, uh, the, the story behind it. I enjoyed having the high evolutionary involved. The high evolutionary is actually the villain from some of my earliest entry into comicdom because, Early on in my comic book collection, the event that was going on that year with uh, with Marvel Comics in the annuals, they used to not do big events that crossed every single book and had special books released and would take up the whole year. They used to, through the summer and into the fall, release annuals. And so you'd have The Amazing Spider-Man, annual number 20, you know, and this is where special things would happen or they'd do a crossover event through those annuals, which was a great way to do it because... It didn't necessarily affect everything. The Fantastic Four that year of the Evolutionary War, they were in the middle of their big sojourn across the whole universe, for crying out loud. It started, we talked about it on an episode of Geek Out Loud a while back. It starts in the tunnels of the Mole Man, and it ends up in a whole other dimension. But in the middle of that, they had to break, and you end up with uh, the story going over into the Fantastic Four annual from that year, but it was the, um, it was the, uh, the, it, 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 it was the, um, the evolutionary war was taking place. And the high evolutionary was the villain of that whole crossover. And so early on in my comic book collecting, the high evolutionary is the bad guy. And so also kind of early on in my comic book collecting, when I decided, Hey, I want to get in on some of this Fantastic Four stuff that I really like them. I was in a comic shop and going thumbing through some back issues, and I saw the coolest cover of all time, in my opinion, at that time. It was uh, Fantastic Four number 175. And in Fantastic Four number 175, what you have is, is the cover is the Fantastic Four looking on as Galactus and the High Evolutionary are standing over these buildings, and um, and they're just shooting you know energy beams at one another out their hands. And it's it's like, oh, my gosh, look at this battle that's going on. And so I get it, and I read it not having a clue what's going on. They're on counter-Earth, apparently. And it's just it, just a really cool cover and a really cool episode, and I was really happy to to have it um, when when I got my hands on it. So it's uh, Fantastic Four 175. If you want to do an image search for it, and you'll see. So I had to have it, and I bought it for real cheap at that time. You know, now nowadays everything was a key issue. Everything, you know, anyone that's selling comics is trying to sell like, oh, this is a key issue. This is the first time that uh, that the back end of that the cover is blue in the background, and you, you know, okay, thank you. The first time the Fantastic Four is written in this color. Uh, this would be the first time the High Evolutionary and Galactus fight, but it's not the first appearance of those characters per se. Um, but it's a cool comic, cool story, and, and what, what follows is, is really cool. Um, <clears throat> and so anyway, uh, 
the high evolutionary is one of those characters that I'm, I, I was familiar with coming in and I was really happy to see that he was being done and, and they didn't do anything in this film to really undo the history of him. Um, he's obviously the MCU's take on the high evolutionary. Uh, he's a little unhinged. He's a little, he's got the God complex that the high evolutionary should have. He's got the, the drive that the high evolutionary should have. And we're being let in on the, on the history and the origins of rocket is really, really cool and really neat and really sad tugs at all the right heartstrings and really sets up. You, you go back now, as you watch this character now with rocket, you go back to the other movies, you kind of see, you know, why he is the way he is. And it's just a great kind of cap off to everything that that's going on. The thing we forget in guardians, I think is we get a really well told and fleshed out backstory for Drax, you know, that his family was killed by Ronan, the accuser at the behest of Thanos. And, and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't stand out and, you know, you're not getting a lot of flashbacks and everything, but even that plays into this movie when Drax is the one who befriends all the children and knows how to speak, you know, not just their language, but knows how to be comforting to them and communicate because we, you know, he had a daughter, he knows how to be kind and loving and gentle and, and not just kind of the thick headed doesn't get metaphor, you know, drags. Um, we, we were introduced to Peter Quill, you know, and I've said in a lot of my criticisms of things like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the last Jedi, you know, that uh, these heroes, even the force awakens, we meet up with these heroes and their lives are just in disarray and disorder. And, you know, the last time we saw Peter in Canon was, um, the Christmas special where he is down because, you know, Gamora is gone. He doesn't have Gamora and that's understandable. And they only had a few, you know, they did like a 30, 45 minute special, which was fun, but it followed Drax and Mantis rather than Peter. And, and so we don't spend a lot of time with Peter to just see how depressed and how downtrodden he's become. And so when we open up on a Peter, who's just passed out drunk, I get it. You know, it's like it, it's understandable that this is now the route he takes. He's lost father, father figure, mother, and and the and the woman that he loves, and and now he's and he just he almost gets her back, but it's not her, and so he knows she's out there. So it's like a bad breakup, but also mourning a death, and so he's obviously he's in a bad way, and so we meet him there, and and of course the the, the movie opens up to creep and. That's kind of a neat thing. And Rocket has learned to enjoy the music, you know, that he used to think Peter was stupid for caring about. And um, and, and and immediately we're off to the races as not only do they have the whole, you know, creep thing playing, we, we kind of catch up with everyone where they're at. And here comes Adam Warlock. And the character, I don't know, you know, I'm really kind of iffy on on the Warlock thing. He's He's played a little too dumb for my taste. Uh, I'm not an Adam Warlock expert. Please understand that. But I also feel like that the times that I did interact with Adam Warlock in the comics, in other words, when I read his character, he never came off as childish. And, and I understand why. I mean, he was literally half-baked, you know, like they, they pulled him out of the cocoon early. But he always had a certain air of wisdom about him. Um, 
he always had a, a certain air of understanding about him that played right on up into the Infinity War and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, what I've had to learn with some of these uh, some of these characters is to just deal with the way the MCU deals with them. And, and later on, maybe we'll kind of get more along the lines of, of what you hope to get out of out of these characters um, fully and, and fully fleshed out. Uh, there are times where it's a little more egregious than others. Like, I don't think it's an egregious misstep on the part of the characterization of Adam Warlock. I think it fits into what James Gunn had done with the Guardians of the Galaxy already, and I feel like it fits into the tone and and the standard of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to this point. But he comes in, guns a-blazing, literally, and he's after Rocket. Uh, and what we find out is he's after Rocket. Spoiler alert, by the way. I mean, for a movie that's been out for a few months. When we find out that he's been after Rocket on the at the behest of the High Evolutionary, um, you know, it, it's all connected. And so it's a story that, that ends up makes sense and, and is compelling because the High Evolutionary being after Rocket because Rocket was able to do something the High Evolutionary wasn't. He was able to deduce and think creatively, you know, and that's something that the High Evolutionary didn't expect. Um, anyhow, Rocket's basically on, on the table the whole time, and, and his story's been told through flashbacks. He's on the medical table most of the time, and you really think we're going to lose him. You really, truly do. And 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 the story, if you don't, if you go in with, uh, if you go in, you know, with no spoilers facing you down, you really think that there's a possibility that hey, Rocket is going to die. They did the death of the Rocket in in comics. You know, they the, it, it, recently, I say recently, but you know, eight years ago, I guess. And so it's something that was potentially, you know, on the table. No pun intended. And so I'm sitting there the whole time cringing, just expecting, I don't want to see this raccoon die. We've come to love him way, way too much. And, um, and there's, you know, there's this typical guardians of the galaxy hijinks that ensues along the way. And most of the humor is very well placed and it's fun and it's, you know, it's Marvel cinematic humor. Um, I don't think it was overboard. And I think that that's one of the things that, has marked too much of the MCU since the Guardians of the Galaxy first came on the scene um, is is a little bit of an over-reliance on humor. I say that. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's kind of let's kind of go down the, the the roster. Look, the MCU since Iron Man in 2008 has been funny. Tony Stark is funny. The one-liners that he would put out were were funny and so i'm not I, I don't think there's a problem at all with humor in the mcu i also know that um you know you, you look at thor the first thor movie and and it was it was funny you know it was uh <clears throat> it was um it had a lot of humor that grounded it and we needed that humor to ground i think this whole norse mythology and because this was the most cosmic, really, we had gotten with a Marvel movie up to that point. We've had we had Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, and now we're at Thor. And I really think that the humor of Thor helped to ground the the story of Thor and make these characters personal to us so that we could have a better end with them. When you get to Captain America, there is humor, but it's not overdone and it's not there's not a constant winking at the camera so to speak 
when you get to Captain America. I think it takes itself seriously enough. Um, that brings you to the Avengers. And quite frankly, the Avengers is funny. It has its funny moments. Uh, but when you start dealing with, you know, the alien invasion, when you start, there the, are quips, there are one-liners, there are things that are said. But it's not, the whole movie is not played for laughs. Iron Man 3, same thing. Iron Man 3 has the tip. Iron Man 3 really does carry on. Shane Black carries on in a lot of ways pretty well what uh, what had been set up in Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Only this time, you've got uh, you've got a little more banter between Tony and Rhodey that we didn't really get in Iron Man 2, though we got a little bit of it, you know, and... Uh, but it wasn't distracting. It wasn't distracting humor. Um, same thing in, in Winter Soldier. Same thing in Dark World. I know people really crap on Dark World. Dark World, I think, is a is a really, is just a fine movie. And it sets up a lot, you know. And um, with as far as the... It's, it's, uh, let's see, you had the Tesseract, which I don't know if the Tesseract was ever mentioned as a cosmic... As, a, as an Infinity Stone. Maybe it was already mentioned as an Infinity Stone. This is the second mention of an Infinity Stone we get, though, with the ether in Thor of the Dark World. That's neither here nor there. I'm going through comedy stuff. Guardians of the Galaxy is the first one that really played heavy into comedy. I think that's because you're... I, I don't think it was... I mean, it's James Gunn, for one thing. But also, I, I think that there's a purpose behind that. And the purpose was, again, it's the, the humor is going to be that common entry point for everyone. So not only did you have this unique soundtrack, when you have a space movie you're expecting to because of Star Wars, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Trek, all the space movies we'd had throughout the 70s, you know, from the late 70s into the 80s, you know, were all about the, the classical music, the big heavy themes and that sort of thing. Well, now what do we got? Now we're coming in to uh, Come and Get Your Love, you know, by Redbone, where doing uh ooga shaka ooga shaka you know we got blue suede doing uh hooked on a feeling um fooled around and fell in love david bowie you've got all of these earthbound songs and earthbound humor in a lot of ways that caught that gave us a great entry point into this and so we all end up loving a tree loving a raccoon you know we're there for what guardians one had the mistake that studios make was then made by, I think, Marvel Studios in, in some major ways. I think from that point, we started to try to lean too heavily into humor. Now, there was still some serious stuff, um, but by the time you get to, you know what, honestly, I'll just call it out. By the time you get to Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, Ragnarok's a good movie. It's fun. Man, they really try to make it too funny and too goofy and too silly. They it does not it does not take itself seriously enough. You're you're dealing with some big heavy stuff for Thor and Loki. You're dealing with the death of Odin. You're dealing with the destruction of Asgard, and even that's made a joke out of. You know, when Cork says if the if the foundations are strong, we can rebuild it, and then it blows up, and he's like, I guess not. You know, that you just made the destruction of a whole people's home world, home realm you made it a joke and and so there's some issues there so it seems like in the tv and in different stuff that, that there was a lot of trying to go to lean too heavy into humor 
after the Guardians came along. And there's definitely across the board with every franchise, whether it's superhero or not, uh, you know, the Guardians introduced this whole idea of let's use popular music soundtracks and that'll be cool and everyone will love it. I'm ready for that to end, you know. Like, it was great for Guardians and everything the Guardians did. Um, but, man, you know, you can't do that in every single thing. Uh, it's just, please, we don't have to, you know, but they, but everyone does. Anyway, so the humor in this movie was right back to the right balance, in my opinion. You had your silly antics. You had the things, you know, you had the whole talking on the wrong, pushing the wrong button to talk, you know, when they were breaking into the facility where they get rockets uh, patented, you know, medical information or whatever. You had different other things. You had the whole deal with the with the with the manimals you know the 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 on, on counter earth where um where the where drax throws the ball too hard and everyone gets mad at him and just you know there there, there was proper humor that that felt right at the time but it did not take away from the gut punches of like the 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 people who did die the people who do have to watch die the 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 seriousness of of the destruction of a world the seriousness of what goes on the humor never took away from those moments of the the heart and the humor were balanced very well and the humor becomes part of the heart of of the film uh and and really you know it's i come away it's it's one of the better marvel movies i think that they've made since uh since no way home um i I think it just really is, there's not much bad to say about it, ultimately. The tunnel fight is 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 one of the best things we've seen in a Marvel movie since No Way Home. You know, this whole, this whole last, you know, 10 movies or whatever it is of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this thing really hits it in a very good comic book way. It hits it in a good storytelling way. It hits it in a good humorous way. I, I honestly, the soundtrack outside of the, the creep at the beginning doesn't really stand out to me. There's nothing about the soundtrack that stands out as much as the first movie or even a little bit of the second movie. You know, the second movie, you know, they opened up with the whole, um, that's the other thing. You know, the second movie opens up with the whole blue skies and all it, the sequence where they're fighting the, the, the big scary monster and all that ends up being just, you know, kind and gentle and, and hungry basically and, and scared in this movie. Um, but there is a there is a formula that was set forth in making like opening act. There's a song and there's a little action piece or or a little character piece that goes on. In the first one, it was "Come and Get Your Love" and him going for the um for the orb. In two, it was them fighting the monster to uh, hate Mister Blue Skies. And in three, it was the, kind of the walking around nowhere and and doing the work of nowhere uh, to creep. Um, and so you have, and all of these things, what's great is the music is all in universe as it's happening. You know, it's not just a soundtrack that's happening to it. It's in, in universe music. And that's one of those neat formula things. The other thing is there's always a moment in, in there where we get to see the guardians fighting and using their, their powers. And the first one, it was when they were attacking Ronan's ship, you know, and you, and you, and you saw what was going on in the second one. They were under the, uh, they, they were in eco doing all the stuff they were doing there. And then there was kind of a pan around to them fighting off different things that were going on. And then in this, it was that hallway fight scene. 
and it was tense, man. And it was, it was rough and it was hard, but they were fighting their way through. And it was just like, you know, you could hear that guardians theme swell up. And, and that's the other thing. It's like, um, I don't, I, I haven't looked at the score for this much. Um, but in my mind, you know, the, that the, the, the theme that Brian Tyler made, uh, in the, uh, it, for it was, um, in the, in the first one was really good this time around. It was John Murphy, I believe who did the original score. I don't, I don't really know who John Murphy is, what else he's done. I'll do a quick check real quick and see he's worked a lot with, okay. So he's worked with, um, on a few things with, with James Gunn. He did the suicide squad and he did the guardians Christmas special, um, city by the sea, uh, the 2019 Les Mis, so yeah, he's he's got a few things going on. Uh, might have done some stuff on Peacemaker. So he's worked with James Gunn, and of course James Gunn's going to bring in bring in his people. So I don't know if he actually used the um, I don't know if he used the the Guardians theme or not. To be honest with you, I haven't watched it enough to be able to say. And then he brings this in, and it's great. Um, so let's see if I can find anything. I feel like they did because I feel like it it uh, it really swelled up during that that thing, uh, during during that hallway fight. I I'm getting myself distracted. I'm sorry, but I, I I have to know if if this is what happened or not. Give me just a moment. Give me just a little more time. Now love will surely grow. I do know I have the the Guardians original score from the first movie. Tyler Bates did that. Uh, maybe I mentioned that. I don't know. Um, let's see if we can get a little bit up here. This is from Guardians 1. figured at some point it would hit their their music there it is That's a cool, I mean, that's a good, cool score. And it's not Avengers, you know, like it's not the, it's not what Alan Silvestri said, but it, it, it has that team superhero feel. So I don't know if that got played during the tunnel fight or not, if I'm being honest. And, um, I wish I did. We can find out though. 
Let me get to that tunnel fight for y'all and find out what happens there. Such a cool, cool moment when they're going through. Here we go. Let's see. Oh, wow. It's just quiet in the tunnel. No music at all. Oh, that's right. They played the Beastie Boys. Why didn't someone remind me? The Beastie Boys. That's the other place where it really came out. That's right. All right. So that was cool. That was good. No, no sleep till Brooklyn. Um, here's my point. I like Groot. I like big buff Groot. Um, you know, obviously the thing that's been established is this is not the same Groot that died in guardians of the galaxy, which I, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, obviously this is a Groot who has had, uh, character development, you know, um, from baby Groot to teenage Groot to this, um, you know, he in, in Infinity War, he was all into his video game and everything. And, and like his real moment of testing and trying there was when he made, when he used his arm to make the handle for Thor's, uh, for Stormbreaker. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. So, but I like Groot as a full grown and fully realized dude, you know, and it was a real special touch at the end when, when the whole audience gets in on, we've become, the idea is his, apparently I am Groot. Apparently, there's a psychic connection that he makes as as he trusts you and you get to know him where you begin to understand what I am Groot means. And we see that a little bit. He says, I am Groot to Gamora, and she responds, you know, knowing exactly what he said. And then it kind of dawns on her, oh, okay, we've connected again. And so then at the end, as they're standing around, and he says, I love you guys. Um, they've let the audience in on Groot, you know, that now we have that connection. And I thought that was really neat. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. I, you know, I, I think that there are flaws with it as there are with any film, but I think ultimately I really enjoyed, uh, guardians three, um, a lot, a lot because, um, because of the afford for these reasons i am in <laughs> i i did i thought it was i thought it was really good um i'm trying to find uh if if there is an album out for volume three i know that like there's physical media out um for 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 volume three let's see if we can get some of these things so it opens up as we said it has creep at the beginning Um, Nightbridge, Since You've Been Gone. Not Kelly Clarkson, Since You've Been Gone. This was used in the trailers. So yeah, the, 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 but here's the thing: like, whereas the soundtrack really took center stage in uh, Guardians One, and it was kind of there for Guardians Two, like that wasn't the most important thing of Guardians Three. And and you know now we're invested in the. It was really neat because you were able to just kind of step. 
They did it in Guardians 2. You know, you step into now more completely this cosmic world, this cosmic universe of, of the Marvel Universe, and you're able to do things that will now be more accepted because we've learned to like these characters. And so you're able to do all the character work, you know, that you were able to set up in the first two. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't I don't know what I think of, of James Gunn. You know, I, I'm not a James Gunn connoisseur when it comes to all of his movies. I don't know his work as a whole. But I know that what he did with the Guardians trilogy um, is one of the, is one of the more special things to come out of the MCU as 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 a whole. Um, I don't, you know, the Iron Man trilogy. Uh, I think got caught up a little much in, especially with two trying to lay the groundwork for what was on the way, and so two becomes this weaker point in it. Even though two is again the kind of the downer moment of of that trilogy because you know in two he's going to die until he finds the right element and everything so you've kind of got that act two kind of feel to it and three does kind of if all you watch was iron man one two and three and you'd have to throw the avengers in there to kind of understand what's wrong with him in three that's a good ending to that trilogy you know three does become a good end to that trilogy it's a Thor's a little more disjointed because of the change of directors and everything else that goes on. Same and Thor has is a quadrilogy. I keep forgetting there was Love and Thunder that came out. Um, you know, I don't know that there was another the Spider-Man trilogy, Homecoming. I, honestly, Homecoming and Far From Home and uh, and even even No Way Home, unfortunately, require too much connect. They're too connected to the rest of the MCU. And so I think they're a little bit weaker uh, from a trilogy standpoint than that. Please don't take that as I don't like those movies and I don't enjoy that Spider-Man. I really do, and I really like No Way Home. But I, I just, when you're talking about a really good series of films in the midst of all of these other films from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, somehow Guardians 1, 2, and 3 really kind of keep it, you know, together. And... And though you have to kind of know what happened in Infinity War to understand fully what's going on with Gamora in uh, in, in in Guardians Three, they're still not the you know they're still separate enough from everything else that goes on that that they make good movies. The return of Peter to his grandfather. I mean, if to me, that's one of the more beautiful moments of the entire cinematic universe is the Marvel Cinematic Universe is when he shows up and his grandfather recognizes him even as a grown man and that reunion. And then what it ends up being in the post-credit sequence, like, yeah, I'm just saying a 40 year old man can cut the grass. I don't, you know, I, I, it goes from the magnificent of that reunion to the mundane of just sitting around having cereal for breakfast in, in almost a, a head snapping way. But um, yeah, uh, look, <clears throat> guardians three, uh, can't recommend enough. I want to hit a few more things uh, before we get out of here. Um, as I said, all the summer movies, Mission Impossible 7 Part 1. Uh, so they didn't really, they ended on sort of a cliffhanger, but not completely on a, on a cliffhanger. And I was really glad of that. Uh, you know, you, there was a satisfying ending to that movie. Um, I have found myself really, really enjoying the Mission Impossible films. Uh, I went back and revisited them all before. We went and saw Mission Impossible 7. I don't remember the the actual title, Dead Reckoning, uh, part one. Um, I went back and watched, rewatched, and man, back in the 90s, who would have thought that this was going to launch a 20-plus year or a 20-year 
you know, long franchise of movies because there was kind of, because two was a little weak, you know, two really felt like, ah, uh, they're not really, this, these aren't going to be that great. And then three comes along and it was such a different animal, you know, JJ Abrams. And, and of course, I think really the, the, the secret to three success was Philip Seymour Hoffman in that villain's role. But it also, there were stakes that were real, st like, there were stakes in the other two, but it was the stakes of, is our hero going to get out of this or not? It was almost James Bond level stakes. You know, we're, we're, we're worried about the, the world and we're worried about freedom and we're worried about our hero here. We were concerned about our hero, but now he brought a family into the mix. He brought a, you know, there was a love, a true love interest in the mix. And the question became, is this going to be a, a through line through the rest of the films? And it ends up being so. And you have these recurring characters that, you know, they're building, their stories are building on one another. And so seven, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And I was really glad that it did not quite end on a cliffhanger, though there is more of the story to tell. Of course, the bad guys kind of got away, but they didn't get away with what they wanted to get away with. And so, um, so I was, I, I enjoyed it. I love the stunts of Mission Impossible. I love the spectacle of it. And I, and I hope for more. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, that's one I, I, I'd like to have Scott and Shaz on to talk about with me and, and us just kind of do an Indiana Jones overview because uh, Dave Jones and I recently watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull over on Patreon. And we really put over that movie because I enjoyed that movie a lot. Uh, this movie, <clears throat> I don't know, man. It was okay, you know. It was all right. It just, it did not. I think this movie for me was what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was for a lot of other people. And, um, and I haven't watched it again. I haven't, I've only watched it the one time. Uh, I'd like to sit down and watch it again. Uh, but I want to say this and, and I am, by, I'm not a digital artist and I, and I understand that. I know when I go to, um, to talk about these movies and everything that, that my ability to write a movie, make a movie, um, do all these different things. I, I know that I don't have the ability to do those things. I don't, I'm, but when I look at a movie, <clears throat> a Lucasfilm movie, no less, and someone running across a train literally looks like something from a Fleischer cartoon in the 1940s. Um, it looks like, bad rotoscoping it and not that the Fleischer cartoons were bad rotoscoping i'll say this a person running in a Fleischer cartoon looked a lot better than some of the running on top of that train that i saw especially from a distance it it just there were too many there's been too many shortcuts taken on the digital work these days of of digital models doing things and and you can say well you know it's, it's too expensive to do that anymore but well okay, then don't do it you know, work within your means or either push that medium forward, do the work to make that medium as good as it can. Because, you know, I'll say this, having watched, rewatched some of the Transformers movies recently, a lot of that stuff holds up. You know, I, I'm sorry when you've got that big devastator monster climbing the pyramid, that's a model. That's a CGI model that holds up to this day. And, and I'm afraid that over at Disney with Lucasfilm and everything because of this strike or that strike or because of this pandemic or that pandemic that, um, we've come to the point where, you know, we've just kind of let things go and, and there's a lot that needs to be shored up on that digital arena. I, 
I'm sorry. It just does. If you can't do it digitally, then it's time to go back to practical effects. You know, and I'm not one of the people that always say that. And I know that there's digital shots and everything, that there's digital cleanup, there's digital work. I get that. But when when a shot depends on the motion of a character to look real and it looks like Daredevil from 2003 or four, then, you know, where he jumps up this building and it looked terrible. Like you go watch that Ben Affleck. There's a moment where he's like, scaling a building and it just looks horrible you know it looks like something out of and that's what this looked like it looked like someone's like i don't know how the human body works anyway um that but but as far as the story goes as far as the characterizations and everything go honestly that's something i'd like to have scott rife and and, um and shaz bazaar on to talk about and uh the, the the last thing i really want to mention um uh when it comes to this I do want to talk Ahsoka a little bit, and I want to go back to the CGI issues I have with Lucasfilm these days, and 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 that is that was very clear in in the most recent Ahsoka. And golly, do I really want to wade into Star Wars criticism? You know, I not really because Lord knows that's this way is death. You know, I, watching Ahsoka. I've enjoyed the show fine. I'm okay with the story. It's nice to be back with some of these characters from Rebels. It's neat to see them in live action. Um I am I am I am totally for it and I'm I'm okay with it. Um this last episode, and here's some spoiler alerts if you're not caught up on Ahsoka. <clears throat> spoiler alert, give me thirty seconds. Skip ahead thirty seconds from this point now. Ahsoka's kid when when they're coming up into to go rescue Ahsoka and Sabine and the ghost, she looks down at her son and her son's hair is green, which that's what it was in the cartoon. But like it is digitally painted green, and that's fine. I understand the kid, you know, parent or whatever didn't want him necessarily have green hair. But when you can tell that that hair is digitally painted green, there's a problem now with that. There's there's it's not. It was rough, but then. You come to the moment at the end where Ahsoka is in the world between worlds. Um, and for those of you unfamiliar with the world between worlds, go to um, go watch Rebels. If you've jumped ahead 30 seconds and I'm still talking about this, give me 30 more seconds. Ahsoka hears a voice. Well, you know what? Fine. Ahsoka in the world between worlds hears a voice. She turns around and she sees a face and we all see a face. And it's a moment where I should have been overjoyed with what was taking place in the moment, okay? Should have been absolutely thrilled by what we're seeing here because for the first time, this person is getting to interact with, not this character, but this person is getting to interact with Ahsoka. And the the CGI, the de-aging looks pretty rough. It's It's... There's an uncanny valley situation. There's just an awkward situation. So my question is, the work that you didn't do to de-age on Obi-Wan, you're not doing now, but it's almost like you're trying. You put, you put as much effort into de-aging as you did with Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan, you put no effort into de-aging him. So why do it now? You know, it, it's just a... It really took me out of it, and I and I shouldn't... I'm enjoying the show too much for a moment like that to be what takes me out. I'm hoping that, you know, 
maybe in the next episode it'll be a little bit better. But I don't know how that gets approved. I don't know how you look at that as a Dave Filoni, executive producer, showrunner, and say, eh, it's good enough. It, George never did good enough. George Lucas never did, oh, you know what, it's fine, I guess. It's good enough. No, George Lucas drove himself and other people crazy trying to make it look the best it can possibly be. And that's all. That's all I have to say about that. So finally, the final thing I want to talk about is the thing that I probably got the most excited about in theaters this year. Um, and it's, and it's in a movie that should not have gotten me excited at all. Transformers Rise of the Beast. Now, um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I did not expect to enjoy this movie at all. Um, I did not expect to, um, care about what took place in this movie. I, all I need out of a Transformers movie is robots fighting one another. That's all I need. Outside of that, I'm golden. You know, I don't need some major crazy story. Um, I don't, I don't need Transformers, the movie part two, you know, or, or Transformers, the movie redux. I don't, I don't need that. Just give me robots that transform into things, fighting other robots that transform into things. I'm not nostalgic for beast wars from the nineties. That's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not my jam. That's not my thing. Um, I am nostalgic for transformers, the movie 1986. I am nostalgic for the, the designs, the character designs that we've gotten to see, uh, in, in Bumblebee and now in, in rise of the beast. And, um, I, I had, I came away with like no complaints really. You know, I, I came away really just saying, Hey, good on them for making a movie that I actually came away really enjoying and, um, and had a, had a really good time with. And, um, they, they got Unicron, right. You know, they did Unicron super well. There were, uh, there were, there were lines that called back to 1986 Transformers, the movie. And if, and, and the moments where we're actually interacting with Unicron, whether we are on Unicron or in Unicron or whatever the case may be, they use they use the score from Transformers the movie. They use that music. They repurpose that music in the score. Uh, and I, hey, you get a suddenly you get a pass from me. You get an absolute pass from me. So much fun, such good times. Um, you know, there's a great kind of, uh, it's just set up in the, in the perfect way. You know, we've got to do this. We've got to, you know, we've got this task that has to be accomplished to stop Unicron from coming. And we've got all these things that are going to try to stand in our way. And now, you know, we have to save the world and save the galaxy. And then all hope seems lost. And then, you know, the, the, we play the Beastie Boys yet again and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and save the day. And it's awesome. It's great. And so the movie ends, and I'm like, this has been a good movie. There won't be any other Transformers movies for a long, long time. And I'm okay with that because you know what? This was fun. And I can only think of one Transformers movie that is slightly, you know, not my cup of tea, and that is the fourth one, the um, the first one, Mark Wahlberg. And, uh, but I still like it a lot, you know, and I really like the 
the fifth one as well, um, the last night. But so we're just kind of sitting there because, you know, Transformers is kind of established, not post credit sequences necessarily, but, you know, like a little mid credit sequence or whatever. And I don't remember if that happened at the mid or just before the credits rolled. I think it, to me in my mind, it feels like the credits rolled. I only saw it the one time. Major spoilers on the way. Because what this movie did, and it's so unfortunate that there's that we're not going to be moving forward from this. Let's stop in this moment, and let me take you back to circa 2015-16. The Marvel Cinematic Universe had successfully pulled in Spider-Man from Sony. You know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe had pulled off the Avengers. It had pulled off Avengers Age of Ultron, regardless of what you think you thought of that movie. The Marvel Cinematic Universe had shown that we can do a universe-building kind of thing. DC was trying to do it over in Warner Brothers. A little too fast, if you ask me, but that's neither here nor there. Universal was trying to take their Universal Monsters and make a Monsterverse, you know. Everyone was now into the shared universe thing. Meanwhile, Hasbro sitting over there realizing, you know what we've got? We've got Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, Micronauts, Rom the Space Knight. We've got these. We can do our own cinematic universe. We can do our own shared universe. And it started in the comics. They tried to do it in the comics first. And some stories that were actually pretty well told from what I remember from the things that I got to read. And there was always the rumors of this is going to happen in the movies. This is going to happen in the films. This is, you know, this is going to be on the big screen. Oh, really? Cool. Great. Let's do it. The GI Joe movies that came about, you know, I said of the first GI Joe movie, if I, if that had been a GI Joe live action movie that had been made in the 1980s, it would have been the most awesome thing we'd ever seen in our lives. We'd have been like, this was just like the cartoon. It was so great. Well, I mean, not just like the cartoon, but it's, you know, it, the GI Joe of whenever that was released, the first one, um, GI Joe, the rise, was it called the rise of Cobra? Right. And then GI Joe retaliation was the second one. G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra was um, 2000 what? 2012? Maybe? Anyhow, 2009. So in 2009, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra didn't hit well, didn't didn't play well, you know, unfortunately. Um, I, I liked it okay, you know. Um, I thought that it could have been much better. But then you had G.I. Joe Retaliation, which, you know, I think was supposed to be a little bit better. Had The Rock, you know, Bruce Willis. Um, and uh, and and it was, you know, it was, was what it was. Um, great. Then they tried to do, I haven't seen the Snake Eyes movie. The, you know, I haven't heard good things about it. And I haven't seen it. I kind of forgot that it existed, to be honest with you. I think the pandemic got that one. But see, that's in 11 years you've had three movies. And it's because the first one got off on such a poor foot. Now, go back to 2007. And go back to the Transformers, the movie, in 2000, the, the movie of 2007. 
Everyone hated the look of Optimus Prime. The movie kind of got trashed a little bit, but I came away really liking it. You know, people didn't like Shia LaBeouf, and he's had his problems, whatever the case may be. But Josh Duhamel played uh, played played a character in that movie, and he um, was military, and it was it was good, it's pretty good stuff. Um, he imagine now you get to that movie and he and um and tyrese gibson who played epps they get called in by john voight or whoever and they walk in there and and suddenly what we're being told is um hey sector seven is no longer sector seven and we want you guys to come on board because this what what we're putting together is a highly trained special mission force. Okay. And 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 they're like, well, what are you talking about? And they're in this and, and just like the end of Rise of the Beast, the wall opens up and they look in and there's all kinds of you see like a havoc or a or 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 a or or, or, a, or some kind of you know some kind of familiar GI Joe vehicle that that is not a real life military thing, but it, maybe you have some real life military vehicles around, but then you see one that is definitely not like it's, it's straight out of GI Joe, the, the, the non real military stuff. And, um, and, and they're handed a card and they turn it over and it says GI Joe. And now we're off to the races, you know, like GI Joe is the code name for, for America's highly trained mission, you know, force. And it's, they fight the terrorists. They fight Cobra, the enemy. You know, there's been a in in the wake of all this technology, in the wake of all this stuff that's gone on, there's been a terrorist organization that's really come in and and has stolen a few key components and are working against our better interest and the better interest of the world. And so we're putting Sector Seven is now converting from um, from a secret organization meant to protect the this this secret to uh, a highly trained special mission force to fight off these terrorists. Well, who are the terrorists, sir? Well, they only call themselves, they call them, you know, you could even look at them without ever saying G.I. Joe. You just say they call themselves Cobra. You know, Transformers, you know, whatever the case may be. And now what you've done is is you've brought Josh Duhamel's character and, and, and Tyrese Gibbs' character in, and you now have Duke and Roadblock right there. You know what I'm saying? And then from there, boom, we're off to the races, you know, with with a whole shared universe thing. But instead, 16 years too late, man, what an awesome moment it was. And I got giddy. Like, I saw it when, when, when he turns that card over and it says G.I. Joe on the back. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this was awesome. And um, I, was, I got super pumped. And, uh, and, and so it was I, – I, I'm telling you what, it really was – it's worth your time. I think it's worth the two hours it'll take you to watch a movie. Turn your brain off and just enjoy it. You know, like 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 let it let it be what it is. And and that last minute, the only it made me excited, but it also made me sad that this is something that should have been done, um, you know, sixteen years ago. Can you imagine that scene? You have Josh Duhamel and Tyrese Gibbs like, what are you talking about? And, he, and they hand him the car and he turned over, and in the background you hear. And then it cuts to like the, um, cause that, the, the, you don't want to go to GI Joe. You don't want to have that, but that, that opening of, 
uh, of G.I. Joe, just that little, that quick little shot by the band. Let's play it real quick. Let's see if I can find it real fast. And let's see if my Google Foo is with me today. But you're off to the races then. Um, and and it's just, I don't know. I, I just, it's like you can see that they did it. They, they did it. They, they figured out a way to do it. Here, listen. Not this part, of course. All right, did you hear that? Da, 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 da. Like, it would, it, it's something that would not be distracting to the regular audience if it's just kind of in the background. But, like, to those of us who know that music cue, you know, and then to go into down, 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 and just cut to your credits of your, you know, whatever that Linkin Park song was for it. I think it's, it's just, uh, I, I think it's great. So, as long as they not start. Start screaming Cobra, la, 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 la. Yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's what they did. And and that's what I'm saying is I really think G.I. Joe from 2009 is a great is a better movie than the G.I. Joe cartoon movie. Now, does it have that awesome opening? No. The, the opening of G.I. Joe the movie is the movie to me. You remember the lyrics, everybody? Big celebration of the Statue of Liberty. The comes the fearful cry, Cobra, Cobra. taking flight Cobra Cobra Nowhere to run Nowhere to hide Who can turn the tide Yo Tell us about it, narrator. Oh, he doesn't tell us on this. He doesn't do it on this. He doesn't do it on the movie. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's highly trained special mission force. It's mission to seek and wipe out the terrorist organization known as Cobra. That's kind of how they say it. Anyhow, I just, I, I, Rise of the Beast was a pleasant surprise for me. I was able to forget for a moment that they've messed up being able to do this shared universe uh, with GI Joe and, and Transformers at the end, and and I and I forgot for a moment that this movie would not make money, therefore the studio probably will not make a sequel, and and that makes me sad because I do think they started to make some proper steps forward with it. But anyhow, how long have we been going? Almost three hours. So there you go, everybody. You haven't had a geek out loud for six months, but uh, the one you do get gets to be about three hours long. We didn't even get to the Animal Apocalypse. Okay. I've been saying for a long time now that the animals are rising up against us. They're trying to take over. You might even see in Scripture there's a little bit of prophecy about that, but that's none of my business. 
but we have noticed an uptick in different animal things and it's an event where the animals are trying to overthrow all of humanity and it's just happening you can't deny it from people from animals invading people's spaces to wow the story we're about to read to you today it's it's nuts ladies and gentlemen it's an event we call the animal apocalypse I got a feeling in my blood. Wow. I need to know me to love. And I want. And I need. And I love. And I'm Apocalypse. Anim apocalypse, ladies and gentlemen. This is. Uh, uh, I got sent this by from everybody. I, I think that, uh, that, that, that realtor Angie might've sent an email to the big honking show. Uh, I, I know that I got it texted to me from several people. Coach reached out to me, uh, talking about this deal all over all the world over. So easy to see. I was off key there. Sorry. Um, all over people sent this to me. I'm taking this. This is actually from Fox news. Uh, it was, it's a link sent to me at our Patreon messages at patreon.com slash geek out loud by Chris Imgrund sent it to me over on the Patreon. And, uh, so here we go. Uh, Peggy Jones is who we're talking about here. Texas one. I'm just going to read the headlines. This happened way back, uh, at the end of July, Texas woman was mowing the grass when a snake and hawk attacked her from the sky. Quote, Jesus, please help me, unquote. <laughs> July 25th, Dateline, Texas. I'm not sure where in Texas. We'll find out here in the story. Peggy Jones couldn't have foreseen that mowing the lawn on her six-acre Silsby, Texas property last month would end with a snake falling out of the sky. She rode her tractor and injuring her in an attack that she said left her bloodied and psychologically drained. Oh, yeah. So here's basically what happened. The snake literally falls out of the sky onto her. It wraps around her arm and begins to um, to to attack her. You know, the snake is now like, uh, you know, he, he was a man. He, he's coming after this woman, Peggy, and he's trying to bite her on the arm. And she's trying to get the snake off. So she's obviously screaming. And then all of a sudden, this is literally the story. A hawk swoops in and begins to attack her as well. The hawk thinks, hey, she has my lunch. And so he begins to claw at her as he's trying to grip the snake, which apparently the hawk had had and dropped onto Peggy. Poor Peggy. So here's what I'm telling you. They're coming from the sky. Listen, all of you who hate snakes, and that is many, That is many. You're not safe anymore. They're coming up your toilets. They're hiding under your house. They're in the woods when you want to go for a nice little hike. And now they're falling clear out of the sky on you. We've talked about back in the day, there was a story about dive bombing sharks. Remember, the eagle actually scooped up the small shark in its talons and dropped it onto a golf course, if I recall correctly. Well, now they're like, well, you know what? The, the sharks can't survive to attack, so 
Let's get some snakes. Let's get some snakes, man. So listen, <clears throat> let's get some quotes from this, this story here. As you're trying to sling it off, he's striking me in my face, Jones told Fox News Digital. He hit my glasses a couple of times. I could feel the pressure of the hit. He's not coming off. It's like he's glued onto my arm. As the snake, estimated to be at least four feet long. This wasn't some tiny little thing. Four feet long. There's some of you who are barely over four feet tall. Wrapped around her arm, a brown and white hawk clawed at Jones' arms that tried to pry the reptile away. While attacking her, she says the snake also kept spitting liquids. Jones suspects it may have been venom. I suspect it may have been puke. I was just saying, Jesus, please help me. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, look, bless her heart. I'm not laughing, but praise the Lord. She knows where to go to for help. Lord Jesus, help me. Finally, the hawk ripped the snake off her arm and took off. The whole thing only lasted a few seconds, but it felt like an eternity, Jones said. Still in shock, Jones found her husband, Wendell, who was mowing grass in front of the property and showed him her injured arm. They got into his truck, drove to the emergency room about 15 minutes away from, their, where, from where they were. They were met by their daughter. She relayed her ordeal on the way there. Jones also had trouble seeing out of her right eye. Once in the hospital, she was injected with antibiotics and given a prescription for more. She thought she may have been bitten after looking at the puncture marks on her arm. However, the doctor said the injuries may have just been from the hawk and its talons. Does the bird have large talons? She spent her first night home after the attack watching for her arm to swell or to turn black, she said. Jones said she knew what a snake bite felt like. Listen to this. Two years ago, she was bitten by a venomous snake in an attack that took her some time to recover. That was one of the reasons that I knew what to look for, she said. Those wounds were not the same type of pain as when the snake had bitten me. Since the attack, Jones has refrained from mowing. Yeah, you've got a pass for life, lady. You never have to get out there and mow the grass ever again. And she's still trying to cope with what transpired and the psychological toll the experience has taken on her. I have nightmares and I really don't sleep much, she said. It's just been like a roller coaster. I'm thankful I'm alive and I'm here to tell my story. We're thankful you're alive too, Peggy. We really are. And we're sorry that the animals turned their evil evil intentions toward you because you seem like a sweet lady who doesn't deserve it. And I'm glad Jesus was there for you in the form of a hawk to attack. Look, there, there's no, you get to be, you get to be the, I've got the, 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 the most harrowing story ever at the table. Y'all stop acting like animals are our friends. They're not, they're not at all. In fact, they're far from your friends. Three hours of Geek Out Loud have come to a close now, ladies and gentlemen. We'd love for you to support the shows over at patreon.com slash geekoutloud if you're so inclined and able to do so. We we have other things we want to do and accomplish with the Geek Out Loud brand and name and, and podcasting stuff. And, uh, and with your help, we can. Haven't even talked about the HasLab Ghost for all you Star Wars collectors, the HasLab Giant Man, for all you Marvel Legends. Didn't really get to talk about some of the cool toy finds I've made recently. Maybe next time. It's always a sad time to end the Geek Out Loud podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We'd love to hear from you. Have you been attacked by a snake from the sky? Has a hawk tried to take your meal from you? because it thought it was a snake or 
has just some random turtle jumped onto your face. Maybe you've been down by the waters of the Gulf Coast or up off the coast of Massachusetts and have run afoul of a shark. Let us know. Let us know. Thoughts and prayers are still with those Maui Mark who are dealing with the, the fires there on your island. And, uh, man, keep an eye on that hurricane, everybody. It's coming our way. And, uh, and watch out for that. We appreciate you taking all this time to spend with us. I refuse to give in to the consultants and the podcasting experts that are out there this day who've only been experts for about six years. This is an on-demand show, and you can listen to it at your leisure, and I hope you will. And I hope you'll email us, geekoutonline at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Real Geek Out Loud, R-E-A-L, and follow us on the Twitter, at Geek Out Loud, and uh, join our Facebook group at on, on Facebook, The Guardians of the Goliverse. Hope to be back with you sooner rather than later, working out something with Teresa to come on and do some serious Ahsoka talk, as well as... As I said, I want to have Scott and Shaz on to talk a little indie. Outside of that, until next time, I'm Steve Glosson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you around the Goliverse, everybody. Have a good one.